Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about inexplicable babies. And I want you to know I practiced saying inexplicable for like 20 minutes before I got on this podcast. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) It's not, it is probably not hard for most people to say, but I do have a speech impediment that I've discussed in the past in the past so words like inexplicable are difficult for me let's just put it let's just put it out there it's difficult honestly any word that is difficult for somebody who's drunk is going to be difficult for somebody with a speech impediment let's just put that out there and i don't know any drunk person that can say inexplicable there have been times i can't say it when i'm not drunk (laughs) because it's just like there's so many syllables why (laughs) it's ridiculous right it's ridiculous um but for those of you who don't know i have a tongue tie and when i was like tongue ties are now they're they're treated at birth practically they're identified really quickly and they're treated at birth mine wasn't identified until i was so old that getting it fixed surgically would have required me to relearn how to talk and so the decision was made not to do it and then i spent a decade in speech therapy getting rid of the stutter that the tongue tie created and sometimes if i get excited or upset or you know um angry the stutter comes out and then i get more angry about the stutter then i cry then i get more stuttery because i'm crying and i'm angry (laughs) it's a vicious cycle there's, there's something about not being able to communicate the way you want to that can be just really frustrating. Emo- very frustrating and very emotional. Um, yeah. I had a bad reaction to some medication um, when I was in the hospital once. And I s- lost my ability about three or four days in on this medication to, to retrieve any words. Like, I could, like, say two or three simple words, but I was trying to communicate to the doctor what was going on with me, and I just, I wound up, like, just, like, you know, sm- you know kind of, like, every time I get frustrated, I kind of smack my leg, and I would just say, like, two or three words, and then I would start to cry, and, and he just he looked at my family and went, we got to get her off this medication. <laughs> and my mom's like, is that what's wrong with her? So I'm like, he's like, well, unless she fell and got a head injury that no one reported to me, yes, it's the medication. And I just, I can't remember. It's the most frustrated I've ever been in my life was not being able to get the words out that were in my head. I mean, it's it's just very frustrating. So the Big Moxie signups were supposed to open up yesterday, and I had the post ready to go, and I did not publish it. But I published it today. Thank you, Desert Poet. And um, we got signups going. Signups will be through the end of December. And um, so we're going to talk about inexplicable babies and what that means. And uh, posting will go from March 1st to March 31st. Can you guys hear me? I can hear you. Okay. So those of you... Well, tell them to refresh if they can't hear me. <laughs> so... We're going to do signups through the end of December, and then we're going to do posting through March 1st through March 31st. We uh, decided to open it up to give people a little bit more room as far as their posting situation goes. Um, And uh, I think that's actually going to be really important for like when Quantum Bang is posting, um, because the Quantum Bang happens in a very concentrated space. And so I think it will be a lot better for everybody if we can, um, if people have a little more room in their posting. 
Okay. Now that multiple people are saying they can't hear. Okay. Can anyone hear me? Let's just I wait. can hear you. Okay. But, I, but I'm hearing you through Envoy, so I don't count. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I know you can hear me. So the issue is... Okay. Yeah, telling people verbally what to do about their loss. Right? <laughs> just refresh, y'all. <laughs> hey, you can't hear me, but just refresh. <laughs> um. <laughs> but, so yeah, we're going to do the, like I, for those of you who missed it, we're going to do the posting over the whole month of March. And we'll be doing that the rest of the year that way, just to give people a little bit more room in the posting schedule and to also to give the readers a little, a little breathing room, um, especially during the Quantum Bang, which is always a lot. We had over 90 sign up this time. Um, that, that does not equal how many will cross the finish line, of course. Uh, but that's a lot. <laughs> It is a lot. It is our. I, th I want to say it's our. It was ninety seven. It's our second. Ninety three. It's our second highest. Okay. It's our second highest sign up. Our our highest sign ups was the first year, um, and so this is our second highest. So this is this is the most sign ups we've had since the first year, for for and authors. That's that's just authors. That's not that's not artists. That's not counting artists. But uh, it'll, I, I, um, so I think the longer posting period will just be, uh, it'll just kind of lower the stress a little bit. I hope it will. Um, remember, our, the, the minimum for the Big Moxie is just 5K. You know, we're, we're looking at, um, don't use me as an example because you know I can't be trusted with a word count. You know. Um, quarter four of Big Moxie will start posting, um, of this year, we'll start posting on the 15th. Um, <clears throat> And that's the soulmate trope that we're doing for that. But the first one next year is inexplicable babies. So let's talk about inexplicable babies. So let's start with what does inexplicable mean? Um, we did have so a question it, about inexplicable to the reader or inexplicable to the character. Probably want to talk about that first. Yeah, I agree. And I think, okay. well, and I think to some degree it could be, um, Mostly inexplicable to the character, to the reader. The reader needs to not, they need to be um, not within, the, I, but you could also, I think, make a case for, um, no, I'm, I just, I just talked myself out of thinking that there's, there could, there might be a couple circumstances where inexplicable to the character also makes sense, but it should still be inexplicable to the reader. Because by that definition of if it's just inexplicable to the character, somebody could write a world where there's no pregnancy whatsoever and then just write a standard pregnancy story and then therefore, you know. I think it's important for it to be inexplicable to the reader, yeah. Because characters w will understand their own world, um, um, world mechanics, even if the reader doesn't. Yeah. And that's what the trope is about. Yeah, it's about we don't we don't need to understand how babies are grown on the ground, or how they're delivered by stork, or how they're wished for. We don't need to and and the problem actually one of the things about the trope is that often explaining that kind of thing detracts from the story. The more you try to explain it, the more other than just magic or the more you try to explain, you know. That can be a whole side story, but you actually can affect the pace, unless you're just like doing a whole side story of the explanation. 
um, you can actually really ruin the pacing of your story itself with trying to explain your inexplicable. This is how it functions for babies to be grown in the ground. Oh, please don't explain it to me. I can't deal. <laughs> I really enjoyed the cabbage, patch, the cabbage Patch Baby thing that I did for one of my EADs. I'm not sure which one it was. Bees on her feet. Bees on her feet. Um, where she's growing her babies in an, um, a bed of tulips. It, it just really appealed to me, the, the flower language. But there's no need to explain <laughs> how that's possible. Just just go with it. So a wish well, baby, yes, is an inexplicable baby. A, I think a male pregnancy uh, is an inexplicable baby. Impreg, wish baby, cabbage patch baby, fall out of the sky M baby. Impreg <laughs> M M being inexplicable, it, provided you're not talking about somebody who's a trans man. That would be not, that would be completely explicable and, and right. um, wouldn't count for the trope anyway. I mean, finding a baby randomly in a cave is... Um, it... Well, number I one, if you it... wrote that, I mean, you need to you need to tag for child abuse. <laughs> Just, how did that baby get in the cave? None of those none, none of the scenarios that come to my mind are good. Yeah, I think that if the baby just suddenly appeared in the cave, like while you were already in the cave, like let's say your character walks into the cave and the baby just suddenly appears in front of them, like John and Rodney are on an alien word, they walk into this cave and the baby, baby pops into their arms, um, that would be inexplicable, and especially if they never, you yes. know, but if, if they just find a baby in a cave, um, somebody needs their ass whooped. <laughs> there is a, there is a, I, to me, there's a dis very distinct difference between accidental baby acquisition and um, inexplicable babies. Now, I do think inexplicable babies could be a type of accidental baby acquisition, depending upon how you write it. So you could have somebody, you know, get drunk with somebody and wish for a baby and they wake. I, I, I question your world building a little bit, but if it, it, that, that whoever grants wish babies gives two drunk people a baby. But you could do it and then they wake <laughs> up in the morning and they've got a baby and you could call that an accidental baby acquisition. But um, I do think that they're pretty much kind of distinctly different um, baby, uh, different um, baby in a basket kind of thing. Um is a, a a little bit more of a um, speaking of willow baby which is kind of the baby in a basket um, uh, that's I, again probably a little bit more of accidental baby acquisition which is definitely what happened to poor Kaya when she um, you know when she well who who pulled the baby out of the water was it Kaya or or uh, willow I don't remember. But I would definitely I consider which... that accidental baby th acquisition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're supposed to put it back. I think Willow kind of pulled her out, pulled her, pulled, pulled the baby out, and he, I think Kaya went and like, you weren't supposed to touch it. I do think a virgin birth, like Shimmy Skywalker, well, not virgin birth, but a uh, single parent birth, <laughs> in, in, like, Shimmy, like Shimmy Skywalker said that she'd been impregnated by the Force, um, or she she just got gifted a baby, I think that would be an inexplicable baby, personally. Of course, that can actually happen. Um, there is a rare, a very, a, a, a statistically impossible genetic disorder that can cause a woman to impregnate herself. 
I'm making a very strange face over here because I had not heard of this, and I want to to deal with the there this, is this, um this gene in myself if it's there. <laughs> well, it's um it's a it's a it's a disorder, and yes, it's yeah, it's partho partho parthenogenesis. Um, and there are some people who believe that not to get religious, but that the Virgin Mary Mary was actually that was actually what happened to her. That's a scientific explanation for the virgin birth. And it is profoundly rare. I mean, like, profoundly rare. But it can happen. A virgin birth is biologically possible. Which I don't think qualifies as inexplicable, per se. But we're not going to police this challenge. So if you did that, yellow wild hair, you do you. <laughs> but, a f but a pregnancy by, uh, by the force could be an inexplicable baby yeah. kind of thing if you don't understand what's going on. I mean, I think to some, it's explicable once to, I mean, I don't know that you kind of start splitting hairs when you start explaining your inexplicable baby. So be, I don't know for me, I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't delve too much into explaining my inexplicable baby, but that's, that's probably me splitting hairs. Um, you feel free to explain as much as you want to explain. I don't think Jane, the Virgin, um, is inexplicable. We we know exactly how she got that baby. Medical malpractice. <laughs> That's not inexplicable. That's suable. But like I said, we said before that inexplicable is more about the reader than it is the character. But also, don't get wrapped around the axle about this because we're not going to police you. If you say it's inexplicable... It'll be just like that time I asked all y'all to write a single POV challenge on RT and less than 10% of you accomplished it. But most of you probably think you did it. I'm not bitter. But if, if you, <laughs> you're not bitter. But especially since I here, spent a here, whole year telling them what it meant. <laughs> I, believe me, I remember those conversations. Um, but I will say. <laughs> did you see I what will, Ellie said? I will. I. I was just gonna say. I will judge you if you. If I won't police. We don't police it. But if you turn in a standard pregnancy and call it inexplicable, especially like a standard, you know, male female pregnancy and call it an inexplicable baby, I am going to just be sitting judge here you. side eyeing you and judge you very hard. My knickers of judgment will be strangling me. <laughs> but like, like all of our challenges. It's about what you want for your work and how you think it fits. Um, is it a fix-it? You tell us. Is it a soulmate fic? You tell us. Is it an inexplicable baby? Is it? I mean, that's, that's, that's up to you to tell us. Is it? And also, it's about being honest in your craft. Because, because, we, because we don't police these challenge, challenges, um, you're only answerable to yourself. So, why lie to yourself about what you've created? Some people excelled in the single POV challenge. Lady Holder was one of them. She, she sailed on through that shit. <laughs> she, and Lady Holder really likes a single POV. I mean, she dug in. She, she, she found her, her soulmate. <laughs> her POV soulmate. <laughs> but, for some people, it was just as inexplicable as an inexplicable baby. They just could not get there and it's fine it's fine um it's been a whole some year telling people, you how to do it somebody somebody actually told me 
after the fact that they thought single POV, no matter how much we had talked about it, meant one POV at a time. And I was like, well, how can you ever have more than one POV at a time? Ever. I mean, it's not a chorus. <laughs> we don't, I think we, we don't... had like 20 different podcasts on this subject. Yeah. In yeah. some plus, fashion or was, another. This was this was the Facebook day. And so we also had uh, posts. Uh, uh, there was tons of Facebook posts. Wasn't it? Wasn't this? Articles. Yeah. It was a whole it's okay, thing. Though. We just decided never to do that kind of, you know, madness again. Ever. Ever. Which was all about us and not you. Because <laughs> I can't handle that kind of frustration again. <sighs> I remember, but. I think I was, reading, I was reading something and I was like, I'm reading, I, I remember writing Kira and saying something along the lines of like, I'm reading this one story and, and you know, I'm enjoying it. I, and, and she's like, but it, there was like, and I was like, and I'm enjoying it. And like, dot, dot, dot. She said, but, and I said, but I'm on like the fourth POV. <laughs> so I just, <laughs> just fuck it. They're just, some people didn't even try. They didn't even try. Either they really legitimately did not understand or they wrote a fuck you story to us. <laughs> it's either way. <laughs> I don't think Inexplicable Babies will be on the same level as that POV challenge. And I don't think anything is. Although there was that one time I had to explain what time travel was 20 billion times. Oh, God. I mean, there was one. Kira actually changed the banner in the... um, um in the, in the Facebook group, yeah. Yeah, she changed it but to, to, to all the different things that work time travel. Time skips, time time jumps, time this, time that. I She says, just relax. <laughs> You're you probably have it. You probably have that banner somewhere still. I probably do. I don't know where it is, but I'm willing to look for it. I think I found it. You found the banner, I think, really? I think I, I think it locked up my shit. Oh, there it is. Except Discord's being a bitch. I don't know. Um, I think. Like, a lot of people are going to gravitate towards, like, a, a wish baby or an impreg just because it's easy. Yeah, you know, that's the easiest interpretation of, a, of an inexplicable baby. Um, magic baby, magical ritual baby, um, alien technology gives them a baby and they didn't know what it was or how they accomplished that or... Um, yeah, I, admit, I can get a little wrapped around the axle in my own head for myself uh, sometimes about definition of... Um, of, of what a trope means. I actually talked to Kira about this the other day about how I can't, I got, I have a really narrow um, perspective on, um, and I'm trying to broaden it up a little bit because I think my perspective is actually a little too narrow about what canon divergence means. Um, and I know that the thing about like impreg for me is I often try really hard to explain the impreg. And so then I start to ask myself, it's like, even though impreg is inexplicable to the reader, since I've gone to all this effort of explaining it, is it still inexplicable? Um, but you know, I'm, cause I'm like, it's not, it's not the biological impossibility challenge. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I guess I can get really, you know, wrapped up. So I, 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 what I would encourage you to do is, is don't be like me. Don't overthink it. Just for, there's, there's not a way, um, regardless of what you explain in your story, whether it's magic or technology or whatever, there's not a way to explain um, with with our current science and understanding 
uh, how the baby came to be, then you're you're probably good. My browser just froze. Well, that's inconvenient. It's a bit not good. Um. Um. Well, the the recording still stays in. Yeah, it'll stay active as long as one of us is in there. So I might have to turn my browser off and come back. Um, let me do that. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. I okay. Um, went to, went quiet. Um, Alrighty. I think we're good. Okay. Um, so don't get too. I, I would say don't get ra too too wrapped around the axle about what inexplicable means. Just if you've got something that feels like it's an inexplicable baby to you, um, you, you know. And also, there are some people that I know who also really like trope subversion. Um, and if you're somebody who really kind of gets into trope subversion, um, um, you know, I, I guess my thought would be just if you've got a really clever way of subverting that trope, go for it. <laughs> I don't have any particular guidance because trope subversion is not my, my, my real thing. Sometimes some people's idea of trope subversion is um, to just do the opposite of the trope, but I don't think that's what trope subversion means at all. So, like, there have been times that people have asked me about, like, um, anti-fixits as an idea, as a method of trope subversion, and I don't think that that's trope subversion. Because um, if you want to fix things by burning the world down, just write it from the point of the villain. Right? Because in a fix-it for Voldemort, nobody else is happy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, does it have to be a tiny newborn? No. Um, I'm writing a wish baby fic where uh, wish babies arrive when they're exactly 90 days old. I don't know I why I question... picked that day. I just did. Well, I think the... But I, I would question, does it have to be actually a baby? Um, could it be a toddler or a wish child? Um, might be the natural extrapolation of the question. Mm. I would say Baby. Not child, but that's just maybe my POV is a little rigid on that. But I would pick baby over, say, child. So I don't know under three. That that that's probably where I draw the line. Honestly, that's just my personal choice. What do you think? Um, I mean, I mean, I guess I can think of a couple of circumstances, a couple of I just ideas off the top of my head that I think would qualify as an inexplicable child that I don't think that they're that um, far removed from um, the trope-wise from inexplicable baby that it feels like it's splitting hairs. But I mean, I guess, but I don't know that I would write it, so I don't know that it makes one difference, much difference one way or the other. I think it's just most people tend to write. I think it's an inexplicable baby is a trope because most people don't want to deal with the issues around like a what reason would a child have for just suddenly appearing? Um, Where has this child been? Who handled their development before? It's that's right. It's like, it, it it gets weird and it would get wrapped around the axle a little bit. I think if you got you, you definitely it. could. You definitely could. And because I, we we plotted that, um, I plotted had that idea for the child displacement services for how yeah. these children are handled, and um, but I don't think that would be necessarily inexplicable since we it's know not, exactly it's, where they came from. But again, you're <laughs> but but that's the same case of where you you know if you if you know where the source of a wish baby is, then the baby's not inexplicable there either. 
Um, oh, but it, unless you mean that, that the origins of the child, their their birth. Um, right. I mean, you know, because that's that's a little different. That's basically, you know, magical CPS. Yeah, so it's kind of like a, it's sort of like a branching off of the wish baby trope and kind of taking it in a different direction as opposed to the inexplicable baby trope and taking it in a different direction. But, um, yeah, I, I think you do get into some weird questions when you start moving into children that are older, particularly old enough to have... Um, language um, skills? Well, a lot of three-year-olds have language skills, so... Yeah, um, I th- I think when they're at when they, when they when they're able to ask where their other caregiver is and why suddenly they have to call you mommy or daddy, that but that that becomes a problem I would want to address, honestly. Or worse, you get a three year old that doesn't have any development. I don't know. It 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 gets weird. Yeah, you start getting into some weird ripples, and it's certainly something to pay attention to. Um. Although I think some people will write that kind of thing, you know, just a four-year-old or five-year-old popping down in somebody's lab with fully developed language skills um, and not address any of the ripples of what it means that that kid can. And I think that that's not great, but that's a personal choice. Does the baby have to be human? No, because that would mean we couldn't have Cabbage Patch babies. (laughs) And I'm not going to turn down an opportunity to have a Cabbage Patch baby if someone wants to write one. Just saying. Just saying. There is a great Hobbit fic where um, Thorin carves their babies out of stone. There's actually several. Um, There's one where he does it and Bilbo finds out later. And then there's one where Thorin's father actually carved children for his children. And then there was one child that didn't have a foot. And Bilbo carved the foot out of wood. because Because the child was half Hobbit. I know one of these series is called Carving Series by Sunrider. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was compelled to carve them. And it was just like something he was just compelled to do. He couldn't help himself. Um, if I remember right in the story. that it was, And it was also something that, that they kept a secret. The, the Durans didn't share that with anybody. It, it was a family secret that all these children were, were waiting to be born, so to speak. Or awoken. The carving series was really good by Sunrider. Um, I especially liked the the episode or the part where the mountain gave them a slab of stone to make a new baby out of. I thought that was really good. It was really interesting. Yes, this is a case of, again, we come back to try not to be like me and get too wrapped up in your head about, you know, (laughs) not explaining the mechanics. Because in most, in many of these stories that I would definitely consider full-on inexplicable babies, um... Oftentimes, the author does get into explaining how it works. Um, It's just the further it is removed from um, a human baby, you know, being carried in a body, the the less the explanation seems to matter. Um, Which is weird. It's just a thing in my own mind, you know. So don't 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 be like me. I mean, kind of drawl in Gratua is an inexplicable baby because um, I have his species just randomly appearing through force magic on Dagobah. Yeah, just this baby just kind of randomly comes into existence. As a little tadpole. (laughs) Um, But, uh, so, you know, 
I, I think really when it comes to the big moxie like like with rough trade it's about satisfying yourself when it comes to the trope because having been in fandom as long as i have i can tell you you can never make all your readers happy so why bother trying to make one happy even if that reader happens to be me <laughs> please yourself but also be honest about your craft and the challenge itself because if you're lying to yourself then what's the point jillian there is no point there is no point <laughs> but you know we all lot of ourselves sometimes about what we're doing or you know what we think a story is going to be but learning to figure out how to deal with that is is part of your craft as a writer at least it was for me um and even now I still have those moments where I think I'm writing one thing and I'm actually writing another it, it, it happens sometimes you have an idea that you think is this but then it turns out to be this when you get finished with the plotting or even like in the middle of writing you realize oh this isn't what I thought it was and that's just part of the creative process and it is perfectly okay but just be honest about what you've created there are some modern Hobbit AUs, like where where the Dwaro and Hobbits exist in like a modern age. Yes, there um, are. I don't actually read them, but I've seen them. It's kind of like the same way I don't read not like I don't read no magic AUs in Harry Potter because the whole point of Harry Potter is magic to me. Like, why? No. <laughs> You're like, I'm not interested in any of that. Look, if I want to read Harry Potter in space, I'll just read Stargate. <laughs> or, you know, if, if, yeah. Well, I don't he mind even Harry. has the messy hair. I don't mind Harry in space as long as Harry still has magic. <laughs> right, right. Okay, okay. Yeah, given, given. Just don't take away the magic. You know, he needs to have some, have some skills, to so something to fight those Wraith off with. Might as well be magic. But I am, I am, like, I'm at the, I'm at the one-third point on my plot for my quantum bangs. I'm pretty happy with that. I don't know if there'll be any, any clickable babies in it, but it is kind of appealing. <laughs> right? <laughs> babies are always appealing. I mean, lately, it just, I'm, I'm, I, I am, I am, just a 25K? I'm, I'm 25K into my, my, Quarter one, big moxie. Like I said, don't use me as a as a guideline. The minimum the minimum is five k. Um, but I'm twenty five k in and um doing a wish baby. I'm really pleased with it. Um, but I had to set it aside to work on something else that kind of stole my brain, and honestly, almost ruined my nano. I had to work to disengage from the series that I was creating, and I'm four novellas into this series the series and I finished the fourth novella a week before Nano started and each one's about 20 25k ish right yeah I think so yeah ish ish maybe not I don't know anyways I've done four novellas in this new series and they're complete they're well they're the rough draft is complete and it was it took everything I was not to start part five Leading into Nano. Uh, cause if I had, I wouldn't have been able to write Nano. I, I mean, there, there's just no way that, that Warhide would have happened. Because it was eating my life. 
And didn't you start it because you were looking for something to distract yourself from wanting to start on Warhide? Yes. And I succeeded. <laughs> yeah, you did. Because Congrats. I wrote most of it in October. Like, let me, let me get it. Let me get it. Where is it? <coughs> I'm kind of at a loss as to what I did with it. She lost her fic. Well, no, I have... It's just weird. Um, I have a lot of... It's okay, I won't judge you too hard. For some reason, I have a folder for the fic, but the rough draft is in my work in progress folder. So, I started it on October 8th, and I finished the fourth novella the week before Nano started, so... Um, and it's 64k. So they're averaging about 20-ish k a piece. So I wrote 64k in October between October 8th and the last week of, of October leading into Nano to distract myself from Nano. I mean, mission accomplished on that. On the distraction part. Yeah. I'm really pleased with it too. It's, uh, it's an AU it, set in 911 and, um, I, I'm really charmed with myself. <laughs> Sometimes you write something and you're like, yeah, this is, this is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Wish Baby? Are you talking about the Wish Baby story? Or are you talking about the one that you use, your distraction story? My distraction story. Your distraction story. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a journey. It's an emotional journey, um, for Eddie just coming out of, of being injured, um, uh, so it starts when when, when Christopher is four, um, and uh, I'm I'm really happy with with what I've done so far. So like I said, I'm I'm four novellas in that are complete um, as far as the rough draft goes. Um, and I'm 25k into my into my wish baby fic for um, quarter one, which I also wrote between September and the end of October. So I've been a busy girl over here. Yes, you have been. I have plotted multiple Wish Baby stories, but I kind of was like noodling on the idea of something I could do besides Wish Baby, since that was sort of the my go-to, it seemed like, for this particular um, inexplicable baby thing was Wish Babies. Mm -hmm. um, I, um, like I already mentioned, I think my hesitation about Mpreg was, I already mentioned my hesitation to, my, my inclination to over-explain it, but... Mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned, I have a tendency to want to slightly, to some degree, because there's always some, I have to kind of get over that because there's some element of explaining um, going on in any, um, there's some element of explaining going on, even when you, when you have a, um, um, a wish baby where you just explain that the fae create them and deliver them. That's to some degree explaining right. them. So right. I think this is a problem of me being really literal and the name of the trope getting in my way. Maybe frame it into the point where it is a pregnancy that is currently unrealistic. So that's what I'll, I'm going to reframe the whole trope in my brain. Unrealistic babies. <laughs> right. Because a wish baby is unrealistic in our current circumstances. A male preg is unrealistic in our unless you're talking about a trans man and that's a different circumstance altogether a biological male having a child is currently unrealistic in our society um alien tech babies are unrealistic cabbage patch babies are unrealistic so maybe that's the way it needs to be phrased yeah it just, it just helps for me for someone like me who is just super like literal really literal um about certain things so um 
to have a way of reframing it in my head so I can get my hands around a trope without limiting myself or putting myself to because one thing to put yourself in a give yourself structure it's not a thing to self to box yourself in so hard you can't you know function so right you know. and you know so people who are who are very literal I had a literal moment the other day that I can't actually give you the details because it would be super revealing but my husband said something to me and I responded in a very literal fashion and I turned around and he was looking at me like he goes that's not what I I meant I said that's, that's what you said so said, there but, but that's not what I meant <laughs> He was just floored by this moment of epic literalism that I had. I mean, <laughs> like if he had told me that it was raining cats and dogs, I'd have been like, well, go outside and get the cats and dogs. <laughs> That's how literal it was. I mean, <laughs> and how unliteral his statement was in, 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 in relation to it. And he was just like floored by me. And it was just like, I, I don't even know. I don't even know how I got in that headspace, but sometimes it happens. It happens a lot to Jillian. <laughs> <laughs> happens a lot a lot so yeah i mean if you're kind of wrapped around the axle about inexplicable re replace it with un unreasonable or unrealistic like it's just like outside of your experience as a human being and um i, th I think you'll be okay but again if this is a cozy challenge it's not meant to hurt your feelings <laughs> yeah I adore the idea of a wish baby because as much as I at one time wanted children, I never actually wanted to be pregnant. No, me neither. I was like, nope, thank you, no. Uh -uh. That is for somebody else. Um, there was a, um, I think one of the reasons why I get wrapped around the actual about the definition, about the, the inexplicable part of the inexplicable babies is because I, I think it's because the first um, wish baby story I read was truly inexplicable. The author made no attempt whatsoever to explain these babies. And it was great. <laughs> and there's this awful, awful line. Abigail. I know where babies come from, Abigail. <laughs> Fuck you, Abigail. <laughs> we were so close. We were so close to an explanation. Written by the Hoyden. Highly recommended. Um, it is in Hannibal, so your mileage may vary. No. Like we were talking earlier about how it doesn't have to be unrealistic to the characters. It has to be unrealistic to your reader and you. It's called With a Crown of Stars by the Hoyden. It is in the Hannibal fandom. There's no on-screen cannibalism, if that's a concern. Um, it is about a baby that just shows up out of nowhere. It's an inexplicable baby. And Abigail ruins our opportunity to find out how that happens. Right, because Will starts to explain you know, about where the wish baby came from. And she goes, oh my God, Will, I know where babies come from. Babies and we're like, from. but we don't. <laughs> Shut up, Abigail. <laughs> we were so close. There's, there's just this baby that appears on the doors and they wished for it. Apparently they both ha had to wish for it. It's just, it was, it was, it was a whole moment. It was a whole moment. So like in a magic AU where one character knows how, you know, how magic, magic babies happens, but the other one doesn't, the, Ir the unrealistic or inexplicable part really wouldn't matter um, as long as it's unrealistic to your reader. That's where I think the trope has 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 function. Because you don't want your characters going around not knowing how this shit happens. Obviously, in With a Crown of Stars, Will and Hannibal both, and Abigail, <laughs> know how babies happen. 
So they know. We don't. And it remains unrealistic. But to them, it is perfectly reasonable and realistic and not explicable at all because they know exactly how it happens. But it is never explained to the reader. And that's where the inexplicable comes from. I hope that that makes sense. Yeah, I've had a couple of questions um, about uh, other interpretations of inexplicable where where it's not explained to the audience or the characters the source of these babies until the end. Um, and one example is sort of like a found baby um, where there's just no explanation for why this baby is there, who this baby is, where this baby came from. Um, and then another example given was a de-aged baby, but a de- de-aging is pretty improbable. But <laughs> so, I wouldn't necessarily call it inexplicable baby. I, I mean, um, but again, that's just my perspective. Yeah, I think it. I think in both of those scenarios, I think it's flirting with sort of not meeting the. In my opinion, not meeting sort of the the burden of the trope. But I, there also could be a case to be made for it, uh, in in both cases. So, um, because if you're keeping your audience and the characters in the dark until the end, and then it turns out that the whole thing was was completely um understandable um that's a little bit of trope subversion i would say kind of um and i think when it comes to a challenge trope subversion is disrespectful i'll put it out there i think it's disrespectful for you to go into a challenge that has a it has a defined trope and seek to subvert it it is disrespectful to the organizers and the other participants you can do that on your own. You don't have to get in our sandbox and, and and fuck up our stuff. I hate that kid. You know that kid that would turn on your sandcastle? Or is that, like, is that, is that an individual experience? <laughs> There's always that one kid that will ruin your good time. There's always one. <laughs> the cousins. I had great cousins. I had cousins that would, like, they were ride or die. My cousins are actually still ride or die. So I think I think if you're I think I think some people may not seek seek to subvert the trope, uh, but their idea may just think that um, they may think that the idea means the trope means um, that nobody has any idea where this baby came from. Um, I don't think I don't personally think that's the trope um, that the characters don't have any idea where the baby came from. But you know, again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna police anybody, um, and I know Kira's not. So no, we're not gonna police you, but you know, judging you isn't out of the question. <laughs> and I don't mean in a hostile fashion. I have never once, ever, called out an individual for failing to write a single POV. I didn't send them any emails or DMs. I didn't slide into their DMs. I, I never, and I've never said any names on a podcast or in a chat anywhere. I honestly couldn't even give you a name at this point because I didn't I didn't even make a list of them. I just know that plenty of people failed to do it. <laughs> I did not make a list of offenders. <laughs> oh, maybe I was too traumatized to make a list. But either way, there's no list. I can't say if Gilly made a list. <laughs> make a list but there was one there was literally only one that I remembered and it was because it was the one um 
that you read? <laughs> no, 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 no. I read several, but it was it was okay. the one where it was it was I felt like it was overt that they were giving us they were double birding us. It wasn't it didn't feel like it was a case of they didn't understand the challenge. It was felt like it was an overt case of them, you know, saying fuck you, I'm just not going to do this. Um because I'm familiar and it was familiar enough with the author and their skill set to know that it that being able to write in a single POV was well within their wheelhouse. So the fact that they chose to write a bazillion POVs, it almost was like sticking it in our face, you know. So I felt I I remembered that, um, and I because I felt like it was it was deliberate the flouting of the challenge. So I always remember when someone flips me off, you know. I don't particularly care to remember or note otherwise. Um, it's not bad judgment, Jack. It's like it's like friendly judgment. <laughs> I'm clearly not, not no, angry. I'm, I'm just amused. I'm amused. I'll admit I was a little frustrated because we spent a great deal of time talking about this and posting about this and talking about this and doing podcasts and articles. Well, to some degree, I think the attitude for like the one person who kind of, and it wasn't a judgment thing, it just kind of pissed me off. Um, oh, although, the I mean, I, banner? no, 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 the, uh, the, uh, the person who I remember very distinctly, um, thumbing their nose at the challenge, because I knew they could write a single POV, they were just, I felt like they were like, this isn't a challenge I want to engage in, and how dare you put a challenge out there that I, I, that I'm not interested in participating in, so I'm just gonna, you know, do what I want, and fuck you. Because it had that kind of vibe to it, you know, it wasn't a judgment thing so much as it sort of pissed me off. But a lot, I would say, we'll say a lot of challenge runners, you know, would get, would kick people off for not, for not complying with the challenge. And Kira doesn't do that. So, you know, who cares about whether or not she's quietly judging you? <laughs> you have to comply with the rules for the site, but you don't have to... Oh yeah, time. The time travel is time travel. This is what said on the banner. This is what got posted in our Facebook group, writers' Facebook group. Time travels, time travels backwards, forwards, time loops, witches and time witches with time turners, doctors with boxes, stargates and solar flares, starships in the sun, time gates, ghostly visitations, angels, demons, gods, evil clocks, time machines, leapers, soul regressions, and everything in between. Just relax, seriously. <laughs> I got, it got specific during that challenge. <laughs> does this, does this count as, does this count as time travel? Every day it was some variation of, does this count as time travel? And since I, like, announced that challenge, like, months in advance, it was months of this. And weirdly, months. people under, people understood the, but, just, but, but with the months of question, people understood time travel much better than they did a single POV. Yeah. Clearly, I just asked too much. It's my own fault. You're unreasonable. Uh, it's you just can't have people of expectations. <laughs> you just you just can't have any. No expectations allowed. I did not love the single POV challenge. I, what I learned during the single POV challenge is that I had to work extra fucking hard. Which I guess was a challenge. Yes, I acknowledge that. Um, and I did not enjoy it. I heard my head, you know, all a gladiator in my head going, are you not challenged? <laughs> <laughs> are you not entertained? <laughs> well, Lady Holder had a great time, so. 
I enjoyed it. I mean, I had a blast. I, I don't have any problem writing a single piece. I mean, there are times when I would rather write um, multiple points of view, but I'm also perfectly comfortable in single POV. Um, I wrote Darkly Loyal for that challenge. Uh, light, uh, Jilly wrote Slytherin Black, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And Lady Holder, what did you write? It was that uh, King Arthur one, right? What was it called? Restoration? Restoration. Restoration? I was thinking that, but I didn't want to say if it was wrong. Her King Arthur one, I think, is called Restoration, but I'm not 100% sure it's for that challenge. She's saying yeah. Okay. And that was the King Arthur-Harry Potter crossover, right? The King Arthur movie with uh, Kira Knightley? My my glasses got blurry. Um, I have these big frames, and um, I have oily skin. So sometimes my, my glasses rush up against my cheeks because I got puffy cheeks. I got high cheekbones, puffies. Um, so I got a mixture of a little heart-shaped face and also a little puffy. And anyways, my glasses get a little oily at the bottom because so <laughs> they're so big. It's a me problem. And, well, having to stop and having to stop and clean your glasses all the time is a real pain in the butt. I started wearing glasses that were just very when I used to have to wear glasses um, that were very s- small because I didn't want them touching my face in any fashion. Yeah, my glasses have been I've been getting bigger lately. Like my last frames were a little bit smaller than these, and I'm really enjoying the big frame trend. I, I really am. So I'm, I'm I'm glad they're back out. I had to get really creative in Dracula Lowell with, with the single POV, which is where, like, the pensive memories that the elves were sharing came in. Because there were things I needed to tell a show that the only way I could do it would be if I had memories. And, of course, the elves came in very handy for that. Well, I have a trifocal now that I've gotten older. It's a little frustrating. But the trifocal is um, about computers. Like I could have a bifocal if I d- if I had a separate pair of computer glasses. Um, oh, so, yeah. So I went with a trifocal because I didn't want to have um, a, a second set of frames. But I might next year go with computer glasses as well. I don't know. Because I'd like to get some with that filter for. Was it blue something? The blue light filter? Yeah. That's gotta suck. I get frustrated with my headphones. I have a pair of um, aftershocks and they tuck behind the... They tuck up against the ear. And I can imagine how difficult it would be to wear um, hearing aids that go over your ear with your glasses. I love my aftershocks too. Thanks, Jillian. Yeah, the, the shocks headphones are amazing. When I when my psoriasis was really bad in my ears, I couldn't wear my earbuds. So um, I think that's how we got on the discussion, and you suggested that I get some aftershocks because it was like it's bone conducting. Uh huh. Very handy. Very good. 
I started wearing them because we were doing a lot of um, nighttime walks and stuff out in this nature preserve, which is not the safest mm-hmm. thing in the world. And uh, for, you know, situational awareness and safety and stuff. But they become my primary, um, I think my primary headphones for the most part. Although sometimes when I have a headache and I want, not not like a migraine, because when I have a migraine, I wouldn't listen to music anyway. But when I've got just a, like a low-grade headache and I don't want, honestly, the reverb against my cheekbones, I'll put regular earbuds in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed that the aftershocks are not wear the aftershocks are not wearable when I have a headache, which makes sense because they're bone conducting. They're conducting the sound through your bones. I got my mom some, and my mom has problems hearing, um, and I got them for her because um, somebody had mentioned that they had a relative that had hearing problems who used aftershocks very well, and she says it's like have like she does not have any hearing problems at all. I mean, she hears yeah. better with her aftershocks than she does anything else. My pops, um, he he's here. He hears better with his hearing aids than he does with with the shocks. That's for sure. But um, he does hear some somewhat with here here he hears as well with with the with the aftershocks as he does with anything. And um, he um, what one of the things we discovered is there's this feature, which I don't know if, for the for those of you some of you may not be aware of this. But one of the things you can do if you have a Roku is you can download the Roku app and you can convert the um, you can um, convert you can use the there's a remote uh, remote control in the Roku app to control your Roku through your phone, but you can also then pair your phone your your headset to your phone and listen to your Roku your TV your Roku what's playing on your Roku through your he- own headset rather than having to you like have headphones connected to your TV or anything. Anyway, we got that app set up on the um uh on his phone for him and it's the best way for him to watch TV actually is with the aftershocks on. That makes sense. Um, yeah. because it can that he, way he, he can just, have it as loud as he wants it to be. Yeah, he just Bluetooth. He just when he wants to stay up late watching, even when he wants to stay up late watching TV, he just uses the aftershocks with his. And it, it uh, because with his hearing aids, um, even though he hears conversation better and stuff with his hearing aids, you know, obviously aftershocks don't help with hearing aid with conversation. But when it comes to listening to the TV, because of the sheer amount, I think of of voices and and the ambient noise and all that stuff. Um, it's just very difficult for him to parse um, what's being said a lot of the time, so he has to use closed captioning. And he says he gets the best um, uh, comprehend. He's able to comprehend what's being said uh, the best with the aftershocks on. My mom will put the aftershocks in and then stick her earplugs in as well. So, um, and she says it's really, it's been really helpful. That she's really glad to have, um, that that I got them for her. They were her Mother's Day present last year. Um, because I am a good daughter. Yes, you are. Aftershocks uh, are aftershocks aren't 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 cheap, so that's a it's a good no. gift. <laughs> no, well, actually, it was her birthday slash Mother's Day. Let's be real, because <laughs> they're yeah, not it, it, cheap. It, 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 it is a combo <laughs> gift, right? Yeah. It's like I'm giving you use now, but it's for your birthday too. <laughs> Don't get it mixed up, because they weren't cheap. But um, I did get her the waterproof version because she can't be trusted. <laughs> Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the woman who dropped every single iPhone she's ever owned in the toilet. So, um, yeah. Um, and for those of you who have 
any of the aftershocks that have a mic. Not every model has. Not every. I don't think every model who. But that last conversation we had the other night when we were doing that little discussion about Warhide, um, mm-hmm. I was on my aftershocks for that. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I had a crisis in the middle of the night. Fortunately, Jilly was up. Um, and what ha- what ha- what had happened was is I got. Sometimes when you're plotting, you, you don't have to confess. You don't have to confess. I wasn't trying to. I wasn't trying to put you <laughs> on the okay. spot. It's okay. Um, I conflated and my plot and tried to squeeze two books into one. It happens. It happens. You know, because sometimes you your your idea is is bigger than you think it is, and you try to minimize it, and it doesn't work. And being able to acknowledge that that is really important for your craft. Um. And sometimes you can split a big idea up into episodes or novellas. Um, and other times you just have to bite the bullet and recognize that your third book in the series is going to be every bit of 200K. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yep. That's okay, though. That's okay. It's okay. I'd rather have 200K at the end than 200K in the middle of a trilogy. Yeah, beginning or end. There's something about putting it in the middle that feels like... Just for, I mean, it, it's just, I, maybe it's just me, but it feels like it's a boulder. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it was feeling like a boulder. It was absolutely feeling like a boulder. But yeah, the sound quality was great. I didn't know, I, I didn't realize you weren't using your podcast headset. No, I, I was actually on my phone and I, I just, I didn't want to grab the, I didn't want to boot up my laptop and get my podcast headset out. So I just grabbed my phone and connected to my shocks and, um, and, I figured we weren't recording, so sound quality didn't really matter. I mean, so, but I didn't, I really didn't notice the difference. On We Might, <laughs> but Discord didn't. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I don't mind things in my ear, but I prefer a soft earbud. I've never enjoyed the, um, the iPod experience. No, that doesn't because, work for me. I've Because they're hard mm. and they make my ears hurt. I have a very prominent anti-tragus, um, and uh, <laughs> oh, for heaven's sakes! <laughs> is that the little is that the little triangle part that sticks out? Uh, little. That's the tragus. Uh, okay. Tragus is tragus is the one right off your cheekbone, mm-hmm. and the anti-tragus is the um, one the little triangle right up above your earlobe. Okay. Okay. Um, so because my anti, but the antitragus, it's not just that it sticks, it's not like it sticks out, but it's very prominent inside my ear. So mm-hmm. there's a very thick ridge of cartilage. Well, I mean, a, a hard earbud has to sit right in that. Um, yeah. so yeah, I just, it's, it's I, really uncomfortable. Yeah. It, it doesn't work. I, I actually, once I had, I had this notion I was going to get my antitragus pierced and, uh, um, mm. this one, it's one of the few piercings I haven't had in my ear was the antitragus and mine is so thick that the piercer just went, Oh, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, baby, no, I have some skull candy earbuds and I highly recommend them. Not Ms. Knotts. Um, so I have some skull candy. They're soft. They fit in the ear really well. They have a great sound. And I also have my aftershocks, but I don't own any head, um, earbuds now that are hard. I just can't. No. But I, I really like my skull candy because they weren't stupidly expensive. They have a good sound and they had the soft option, so it was it was 
good across the board. And they also came with different sizes of the little little ear things. So you could pick your size. And that I think that's really important too. I do have I I have the soft um, multi-size ear tips as well, but I do have the stupidly expensive earbuds. But I did get them back to say I did get them before I got my shocks. So I think if I had the shocks already, I wouldn't have gotten um I wouldn't have bought the stupidly expensive earbuds, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I honestly I put my aftershocks on every time I leave the house. It is the only headset I use with my phone now. Um it's just it's it's really good for driving. Uh, if I don't have my Bluetooth hooked up to my car, which most of the time I do, but if me and my husband are in the car together, I usually give the Bluetooth connection to the car to him. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it's just really handy. It, you turn it on, it, it automatically hits your phone. You don't have to worry about it. I'm not sponsored. <laughs> I'm never sponsored. Um, but I just, I really enjoy the Aftershocks a lot. I really do. Definitely recommend Especially if you spend a lot of time in headphones, and I do, um, and sometimes I'll put my my shocks on around the house because I'll have had this headset on on my head all day, and it's just it's a lot to have a headset on your head all day. You know, if I'm doing yeah. editing or if I'm listening to music, it's just a lot. I can't do over ear headphones, like ones that sit completely over the ears, not on the ears, but over the ears. I can't do those for more than a couple hours at a time because it just gets to be. Um, miserable for my, you know, the the health the health of the skin and tissue around my ears. Um, well, you're a sensitive one. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm delicate. I wear over the ear headphones most of my day. So sometimes, if I get up and I'm gonna be moving around a while, I'll put my aftershocks on because it's just and like I said. And when, when my psoriasis was really bad, I only used my aftershocks because it was. I had psoriasis in my ears. And I am convinced that's why Van Gogh cut his ear off. I don't think it had anything to do with an ear infection. I think it was 100% psoriasis. Because that stuff, awful. It is awful to itch at a place you literally cannot reach without deafening yourself. Because my psoriasis went all the way to the eardrum. Which I know, awful TMI. It's I had miserable. to see an ear, nose, and throat and a dermatologist at the same time to get treatment. Because they were like, okay, can we use this medication in your ear that deep? You know, we need to see an ear, nose, and throat to get a consultation. So I had two different specialists about my ear. And this was after the incident. The incident. The incident. You know about the incident. The incident where I got that ear cleaner stuck in my ear. Oh, that incident. Oh, that's, yes. Well, actually, first it was a cotton, it was from a... Okay, what what had happened was, is that I had these cheap Q-tips that I bought by accident that were, I was using them for nail polish remover. And I grabbed one by accident, put it in my ear, and the cotton stayed in my ear, and the Q-tip came out. And I was using it to put medication on. So then I tried to use one of those little ear cleaners with the camera to get the cotton out of my ear, as one does. Except the little cleaner thing fell off the camera and, and got stuck in my ear. And then they were both stuck in my ear. And I went to urgent care because I could not get it out. And neither could my husband, even with tweezers, because we tried. Because we're adults who, thinks we can, who, who think we don't need user manuals. That, that's the kind of adult me and my husband both are. We never read the user manual and assume we can do anything we set our minds to. That's who we are in a nutshell. 
So we tried to get it out on our own. Did not work out. My ear started to hurt. I got worried. Go to the urgent care. I get referred from urgent care to an ear, nose, and throat. <laughs> urgent care is like, I'm not dealing with this besides ear, I, nose, and throat. I know. ENT needs a, they need a good laugh today anyway. <laughs> and then whereupon I was told by this ear, nose, and throat that I was the oldest patient he's ever had to pull something out of their ear. He goes, you know, usually when this... Usually when this happens, it's a three or four year old. And I'm like, come on, dude. <laughs> I'm having a bad day. That's not the distinction you want in life. No. <sighs> oh, God. She swallowed a toothpick? Oh, that makes my whole body hurt. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. She's lucky she didn't puncture something. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm, oh, I'm going to have nightmares about that. <laughs> Chicken cordon bleu. So, should we go over some other kinds of um, inexplicable baby tropes and see yeah, if people have yeah. questions about the whole what might count as an inexplicable baby? Um, or an unrealistic baby, for those of you yeah, who need well, that Yeah, unrealistic baby. It's not backed up by science. <laughs> Modern science. Italian science. <laughs> Practical science. Practical science. But yeah, I mean, I would think that, you know, alien, ancient technology baby in Stargate would qualify. Um, uh, magical ritual babies, whether on purpose or by accident, would definitely qualify. Um, Any kind of magical baby. I think, I think if magic's involved, consider it inexplicable because magic is inexplicable. Right. Just give yourself a pat on the back. Magic was involved. <laughs> Crippled, unrealistic baby and stuck the post-it to the wall. So I stopped overthinking it. Good. Good. I mean, I, us, <coughs> us literal people, we have to stick together and come up with our ways around our, you know. But yeah, I think the unrealistic baby is a good, de a good definition for people to work with. Um, because most of the inexplicable babies that you would find in Fanon, in fandom, Fanon, are unrealistic in our current scientific circumstances. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, have a baby appear in whichever manner suits your fancy and figure things out. Or you could you could write the uh, um, what's this question? Does the trying to extrapolate what this means? Hold on. Okay. Oh, basically, does the baby actually have to wind up coming to fruition, I think? I think that maybe, like, if it's a world like the Hobbit, do they actually have to get to the point of harvesting? I, that's I not the question, but that's why I'm interpreting this. If I was going to write for this particular challenge, the baby would have to appear. Because it's not inexplicable baby making, it's inexplicable baby. That's just my interpretation. So if I was going to write like a Cabbage Patch Baby, I'd probably write, if I was going to do like a 5K short, I would do it on the day of emergence. Unless you were going to write like a series, like where you're writing like um, the first episode is sort of the planting or whatever. and some, whatever. As long as, I would say during the course of the challenge, you would need to probably produce a baby. Yeah. Produce the baby. <laughs> we want to see a baby on screen. Don't you understand? No, I'm just kidding. But I, for me personally, the trope means a baby actually comes into existence and there's a baby. 
boom, there's a baby. I mean, like, you could have the baby being, like, born if it's a inexplicable pregnancy. Um, I just, I think the trope itself leans itself toward the actual existence of a baby, like, physically in the world versus a pregnancy or cabbage patch or stone carving. But that's just, like, again, that's my interpretation of the trope. Yeah, I guess I, I guess it's one of those cases where I I'm I I may see it a little less diff, a little less literally because I think that any time that anybody is like talking about a world where, um, like wish babies exist or even if the even if nobody's actually planted a baby or wished for a baby or where you're talking about you know although I do th- I do think there has to be something that engages with the trope it can't just be male pregnancies are possible um i'm not gonna go all jerry Maguire on you and scream show me the baby but (laughs) but show me the baby (laughs) um but i do i I, to me i think as long as you engage with the engage with the trope in the sense of like somebody's pregnant or the baby has been planted or um um, or whatever, or, 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 or somebody has wished for a baby or the wishing has happened. Or, I mean, like if you wanted to do, if you're writing a story where there, um, uh, like I have a thing where there's like, a like it had fallen out of practice in one story. Um, the wishing of like wish ceremonies where family and friends would come together and join in the wishing couple in 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 providing their good their their goodwill towards the wishing and that they had fallen out of um out of a uh, style as it were people had stopped doing it and um and in this story somebody had wanted to do it a, a kid had wanted to kind of revive having a wishing ceremony and so the story is basically just about the wishing ceremony and, and so i it just to a degree i think that is engaging with the trope even if the baby isn't actually produced, although in that particular story, there is a child produced at the end. But um, the, most of the story is more about the, the support of the person who wants the baby, not the, um, not the, not the baby itself. It's about the, the, the sense of uh, family. Um, it's about the sense of family that, that exists, exists in, in the story rather than, than the baby. So the baby is kind of the end, is sort of sort of incidental to to the thing but i do think that it engages with the trope um as opposed to what i don't think engages with the trope is just saying that wish babies exist you know what i mean so i think just saying um a wish baby exists or the mpreg is possible or that you can plant your children i don't think that engages with the trope but i do think that actually planting going through the planting i do think that does engage with the trope but that's that's my interpretation um because it does kind of show your characters um it it shows the characters it, moving forward into um into 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 the you see you see potential of the ba- the man of the baby being real in the future, as opposed to I can't tell you how many magical story you know Mpreg story not magical Harry Potter stories I've read where it's mentioned that Mpreg is a possibility or you know that kind of thing and there it never is any of that on screen so and I wouldn't consider that in I a I wouldn't consider it it's always weird to me where just the mention that Mpreg is a possibility deserves an mpreg tag it, to me it's like just weird but 
I get it. Some people consider it the borders tags as warning. Tr- a warning, yeah, and I find that gross. Yeah, but I mean, but I think just I, I was I was mentioning while you were while you stepped away that I think that just mentioning that something is a possibility is not engaging with the trope. But sh- to to this is just my interpretation of it. But that um. But that w- if you show like your character getting pregnant and that that is engaged with the trope, or if you show them planting their child in, in a Hobbit story, that that is engaged with the trope, or if you um, show the wishing ceremony or something and whatever, or you show maybe them being told that they have been granted a child, they get their paperwork, and that their child is being um, um, created and will be delivered to them on this date or whatever. Um, I think that's engaging with the trope, but just in- saying that these that this that this thing is a possibility is not engaging with it. Yeah, but that's, that's just, just that's like just randomly my... saying one of your characters can time travel and that they never time travel, and you label your character, you label your whole story time travel when it's bullshit. Right. Exactly. So. um so yeah, I mean, how you interpret, um, you know, does the baby need to arrive? Um, I, I this is just my interpretation. Uh, I it would be no, but there has to be a baby, meaning um, it has to be in the ground, in the body, or it has to be, you know, wish granted or something like that. It has to be being created in the ether. Uh, it doesn't. I, it doesn't necessarily have to be delivered on screen at least to me but that's that's just sort of my my um interpretation but you know sometimes sometimes this stuff is splitting hairs but i don't know that i think that it's splitting hairs too much to say that just mentioning that mpreg is a possibility is not engaging at all with with the trope is i don't think that's splitting hairs so i'm trying to think of anything else could count as i think a long time ago we had this big giant ass plot drift where we talked about the ancients separating the wraith from the ancient DNA and being stuck with a whole bunch of babies. Yeah, that was yeah, that was one of them. They got uh... delivered around. Yeah. <laughs> that would that be was... inexplicable babies. <laughs> that very inexplicable. Drawl in a better man is fifty years old, but his species lives over a thousand years. He is very much still a baby. So you have to take that into account when you're looking about species, different species, and what that means. Um, so baby would be toddler or le- for the purposes, baby would be like toddler or less um, adjusted for, you know, appropriate a appropriateness for the whatever species you're talking about. I well, if you read eight weeks, um, the diaper situation becomes more of a background joke than an actual on-screen description because like my other characters who don't go to the bathroom on screen i see no reason why babies should either like i think there's a scene where eddie dresses colin and there's a scene where they're talking about a bad diaper diaper experience um and comparing it to a weapon but they don't actually there's no actual play-by-play of a diaper change in eight weeks which is the story i wrote for the quantum bang last last year <sighs> sorry i'm gonna do it yes. again yes that's, that's my little mouse sneeze 
I don't need any commentary. What, I can't make fun of you? <laughs> Everybody else does. One time I actually, like, literally see, like, other people do, and people, like, turned, and more than one person asked me, are you okay? <laughs> because I don't do that. I just don't. I never really have. I mean, it's, like, stupid rare for me to actually have a full-blown sneeze that you would expect to come out of somebody's mouth. A human's mouth. <laughs> Baby elephant. <sighs> Yeah, but I don't see any reason to why to write a play-by-play -play of any toilet behavior, no, no matter the age of the character. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I I always anytime I'm reading a story and there's a there's a a blow-by-blow -blow or play-by-play -play of a diaper changing scene, I I'll be honest, I skip. I I'm like no, I don't need it. I I've changed a diaper or two. I don't need to relive it. You know, if you know, you know, and if you don't know, you don't just you you don't deserve that kind of trauma. Just leave it at right? that. <laughs> it's awful. We all agree. It doesn't need to be discussed. <laughs> but yeah, I just I'm like you know, in the Mandalorian, it's never clear as to whether or not Grogu is potty trained, and I appreciate that <laughs> that there's no because he eats a lot. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't actually bring up his back routine. I don't, I don't want to know. Yeah. Because if, if if Mando's having to change diapers, I'm glad we didn't have to witness it. Although some, there's probably a fic out there somewhere where someone gets deep into the details about, you know. There is. And I, I read I read it. And I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it because it, it's very specific. But I was a little startled, and I didn't even know that was a thing. So I looked it up, and apparently, it is ways of dealing with baby constipation that I did not need to know. I I don't want to know. I'm just putting it out there. So, don't want to know. I mean, yeah. So I'm not like why, but obviously this was written by someone who was potty training a toddler, and thought they would share what they had learned and what they do with their own toddler, but. But Baby Yoda's 50 years old. I think at this point, he's potty trained. Let's go under the assumption that he is potty trained. Which is why it's the first thing that Ray asks, is he potty trained? <laughs> because she doesn't want to be changing diapers for decades either. <laughs> right? I mean, honestly, here, this, that kind of, for me, falls into the category of people having knowledge they feel like they want to show us that they have. And it's like, I don't need to know that you know that. I know how to change like, Okay, Gina too. Yule, we know you can do this. We don't need, we don't need an explanation. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> but I think you can allude to things like diapers or, you know, without getting, like, into the details. and Because often it's like a, it's a, it's a time suck. And it's, it's honestly bad word economics. I mean, you're just wasting your time and your words on a situation that does not need to be explained. People understand that people take a shit starting from birth. <laughs> we don't need the specifics. Just like for the record slash writers, we don't need the specifics. We don't need the specifics of the aftermath of anal sex. No. We don't. We know what happens when there's no condom. We don't need a blow-by-blow. If you want to give a blow-by-blow, blow, do it of the actual <laughs> sex. <laughs> um, 
I just, I tell people, people are, people do the weirdest things in, in fic. They do the weirdest things. It's like, why? Why did you tell me that? Now, the only time, the only part of your fic I remember is this scene. So now I can't even look for this fic because you've ruined me. Right. So I can't go on to a group and say, hey, I read this fic once and the only thing I remember from it. Is, but why, would you be, why would you be seeking the story if that's the only scene you remember? Because you wouldn't want to reread that scene. What's right? worse is when, right? But I didn't yeah, her- stop reading, so I must have enjoyed the rest of it. It's just that's the only part I remember now. Yeah. But I, th- it I would involved say- the evacuation of the anus after anal sex. It was a Star Trek fic. And I- Star Trek fics do like to... I've read a few that just like get into the... It's like, what are we doing over here? What are we doing? Um, but for those of you... Um, for when, you, when you're writing something that's like an inexplicable baby kind of story, um, which we hope you will, uh, give yourself a pass for those of you who um, feel like you are inclined to want to explain things a lot. Give yourself a pass on feeling like you need to get wrapped around that particular, you know, axle. Um, Just because it is, um, it's a, it's a, it's a burden in its way uh, to, to, to you, to your word economics, um, potentially to the, your story's pace and, um, mostly to your pace to get really bogged down in something that maybe you intend to be cute and short and sweet um, to, to get really bogged down in trying to explain what you don't need to explain. I mean, you can give uh, you can give like a one sentence explanation to try to cover your bases. Like, you know, uh, for as long as something like for as long as um, you will go with Kira's from thing from, um, the, the wish story, her first wish story, um, that first, you know, that humans had been gifted children from the Fae in some circumstances, you know, at times, and and not have much more re- acknowledgement than that. And whatever, whatever, what other little bit of detail there was um, came up th- in passing and not in great detail in the course of the story. And let that just be sufficient. Um, don't try to get into explaining where the Fae went. Or, I mean, unless you're writing an epic and you're prepared for that, which honestly you don't have time between now and the end of March, um, give yourself a pass on needing to explain all that stuff. Just just let it go. Because if you if you you'll get really bogged down in in all, all kinds of detail that that this doesn't. It doesn't need to be explained uh, for a short story. Uh, and f- certainly some people could really like to explore world building for a longer work. And you're welcome to do that if you're writing 100K and you want to explore the backstory. And But I just, I'm just saying I don't think it's going to serve you for if you're trying to write a 5 or 10K short about a wish baby to explain where the Fae went, um, why they choose to deliver, still, still grant humans wish babies, uh, who, what the criteria is by which they grant wish babies. I mean, I just, I think, you see what I mean about how you can get really bogged down? And maybe you know that in your own head. And this is what happens. Sometimes an author starts to, they take the time to figure this stuff out. And they feel like because they've figured it out, by God, they're going to make sure the reader knows about it. But that's author vanity. That is not good story craft. 
So resist the urge unless you just really, really want to. And there is a certain vanity to be had in fan fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you owe it to yourself as a writer to um, seek the discipline to know um, when to indulge yourself and when not to indulge yourself. Indulgences that don't hurt your story or that enhance your story, I think, are good indulgences. Um, indulgences that ruin your story pace and uh, are not good indulgences. Because the no. problem with the problem with pay, I, often a lot of things that I think are problematic that fan fiction authors do uh, come down to pacing issues. And the reason why that comes up is because there's nothing like a pacing issue to affect readability. Um, when when the pace is suddenly bogged down in ten thousand words of, um, you know, shopping trip, you know, I'm picking on the Harry Potter shopping trip because it's ubiquitous, okay? And there are some very good ones, but there are some that are ten thousand words of Harry buying, you know, individual pair of pants, and I mean that in the British way. Like <laughs> um, <laughs> music and movies and sex. Tempo is everything. <laughs> if you fuck up the tempo, you're going to fuck up everybody's good time. <laughs> That's right. So don't do it. <laughs> That's my favorite shopping trip ever. Hermione just summoned everything she might need. <laughs> and stuck it in a trunk. <laughs> In four or five different stores, because why not? <laughs> I like the shopping trips where, you know, something is happening. Like, there's some, some subplot that's happening or something happening on the alley that is relevant to the storyline. And when they, often when they go into a shop, there are um, first-year kits they can just go in and buy. And there's none of this hanging out trying to figure out what they should, which, what they should get. I mean, I just love that. They go in, you know... Um, <laughs> and they buy their first year kit and then a Death Eater pops up out of the woodwork and hits them over the head with a brick and you're like, yes, plot! <laughs> <laughs> Random Death Eater. <laughs> Which is my single favorite joke in Darkly Lowell. The Random Death Eater. The Random Death Eater? Yeah. It's my favorite part. And Minerva deciding that it was just too late in the year. That, that a random Death Eater was just wishful thinking. <laughs> I love it. Um, but you can do little details like that to kind of bring out your world building. Without beating your reader over the head with your world building. And I see a lot of people, especially when concepts like Inexplicable Babies happen, that they end up um, beating readers over the head with the world building they've done. And that slows your pace down. And it slows your story down. And it you your reader ends up dragging drag-assing through their story instead of having um, a really entertaining experience. And while you should always write for you, you should always strive also for readability. Because if you're not striving for readability, then what the hell are you doing? I have a whole podcast on that. It's called Attention Whores. Just saying. Yeah, we've talked for, we've, and I think one of our taglines is something like, read, readers aren't the important part readability is. Um, unless you're a professional author, but w it, between, if, you've got, if, you've got the, if you've got the tropes and you've got the, 
the the writing chops and you got the readability, you know, there's not a lot you can do to control the reader side of it, right? Right. Um, but to some degree, also, if you're a pro writer, just you know, you should be getting some guidance from your publisher and stuff like that. But that's a whole other issue. But on the fan fiction side of things, you know, the readers don't worry about it. Readability is is from from a writer's point Did of view. Did you just see what she said? Mrs. Knott it's, yeah, it's, has it's declared a, in public that Darkly Lowell, the only fic I have with an actual literal body count on the fanfic information, is her comfort fic. Well, I think I think it, I think a lot of people find it comforting. I I, I will admit I don't, but <laughs> I think it's just because a lot of people um, in the Harry Potter fandom really want to see you know everybody the die, world so, the world burn, so. <laughs> Just set everything on fire. I did. I did. I did. um, There's something really amusing about embracing some tropes when you're, um, when you're plotting um, and working on various things. And I, some tropes are just really amusing. Okay. Just, just really amusing. I have never had rocks fall, everybody dies, but I want to desperately. Because I have read a fic where rocks fell and people died who deserved it. And it was amusing as fuck. And that fic would be Make a Wish by Rorschach's Blot. Highly recommend it. It's in the Harry Potter fandom. It's a gen fic. Um, Harry's just a man on vacation all over the world. And it is great. <laughs> it is great. It is great. That, that surprises me. Ed's favorite... Uh... Ed's not favorite. Ed's comfort fic is Impetus from my, which is one of my early EAD works. Um, uh, it's a short where uh, one of the one of the first, one not the first, one of the first works I wrote about uh, Tony leaving NCIS over the dead air fiasco and getting really really mad at Gibbs in private. Gibbs, you needed to get really mad at Gibbs, and that was just <laughs> that was infuriating. <laughs> I think my comfort fic of yours uh, in the Harry Potter fandom Birth of the Serpent is, King it used to be, but it's Absence of War now. Really? Huh. Yeah. yeah. Your comfort fic for me is If Found, Please Return. This, Obviously. This, this daddy issues all over it. I <laughs> <laughs> got daddy issues like, whoa. Um, I heard the working title for, for Lady for, Holder, um, it would be Slow Side of Indifference. Would definitely be my comfort fic um, for Lady Holder. My Lady Holder comfort fic is uh, uh, Lion Rampart. I really um, enjoy Lion Rampart. Yeah, yeah. It was one of my f- one of my first uh, uh, NCIS Sentinel Guide AUs that I just really loved. I mean, I'd read some um, Sentinel Guide stories in NCIS before, but none that just really just really stuck in my mind um, the way that one did. For her Sentinel and Guide work, the unlikely and the unwilling, which was uh, the fic that inspired me to write Sentinels of Atlantis, um, is right up there. But so, but Lion Rampart, uh, I really enjoyed Lion Rampart as well. But like, as far as like comfort fit goes, it has to be the slow side of indifference because it it speaks to my McShep part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Kira's um um uh. Um, working title for Unleash Your Demons with Team Daddy Issues. Yeah, it was. It was Team Daddy Issues. 
about I think, hmm. I think overall my comfort fic of yours for overall from all across all of your fandoms is it might be uh the first book of the Gratua series. If I had to pick Which one better story. Because yeah, you, you know me, I'm all about being able to be decisive. You know, if somebody tells me you get one choice, I will make one choice. I will not, you know. <laughs> I, will, I, will make, I, I will make a decision. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I am, I am a decision maker from way back. I would say my overall number one across the board, bar none, comfort fic in fandom would be Time in a Bottle by Astolat. Um, I think mine is probably Wraith Killers, because kitties. My Lady Raw. Yeah. Kitties, yeah. I mean, kitties. But Time in a Bottle by Astolat, if you only ever read one McShep, McShep, McKay Shepard story um, in Stargate, read Time in a Bottle, because that particular fic is the reason why I will go down with that ship. And if you if you're willing to read two in Stargate, number two should be Wraith Killers. Because... Yeah, I mean anything you know, Lady Raw can do no wrong. Honestly, for me, I mean, uh, I've never read a Lady Raw work that I didn't super enjoy. If you enjoy, if you're an NCIS fan, McCavity I think would be your go-to Lady Raw fic. Um, Tony is amazing in that. Uh, yeah, and I love the MCU crossover, so it gives you some, and the Tony Tony vibes and that are great, and friendship vibes on that are great. Um, and honestly, it I just the 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 story where um, um, Tony sends Denozo sends Tony Stark a little rat to get him food in that cave. It just that that story just killed me. It just killed me. Yeah. Yeah, McCavity um, is great. Checkmate in the SGA universe is amazing too. That's where Jack, where uh, John gets turned into a little cat. And my favorite part of the Checkmate verse is when they they're getting ready to transition John back into human. So Rodney makes John stay in his own room instead because John's been living with him and his. Except John gets really upset to have been put back in his own room, so he drags his little cat bed down the hall. <laughs> It's <laughs> slipper bed. Yeah, it's a house slipper. Someone made a, a cat bed out of a like a house shoe for him, and he's dragging this thing down the hall so he can move back in with McKay. <laughs> he's packed his shit. <laughs> it's great. It's called Checkmate by Bead. Um, it, it's on AO3, and it is amazing. It's awesome. Also, Lady Raw has a very interesting... Um, for those of you who like Sentinel Guide lore, um, it is not a Sentinel Guide AU. It is a Sentinel and Guide um, emergence story about Sentinels and Guides coming across online in greater numbers. It's their Sentinel School, Sentinel School verse. Mm -hmm. um, it... At the time I read it, um, I hadn't read a lot of Sentinel Guide. There weren't a lot of Sentinel Guide AUs to be found um, that were not like GDP. Um, so there, yeah. I hadn't read it. I hadn't read a ton where there was, you know, like broadly Sentinels and Guides existed f pretty broadly. So um, it, this was pretty. It was pretty new territory at the time for me that I read this, as I, as I recall. Um, so it, my current head canons about Sentinel Guides don't really match. Like like she has. Um, match but you, my head can is the way i would write some guides don't need to match 
you know, what it, what anybody else writes. So um, I believe she has, uh, if I recall, she has like brother, sister, Sentinel Guides and stuff, which is not something I would write today. But I still very much enjoy that series. So it's a very um, unusual, um, very well thought out, very long series about uh, the emergence of Sentinels and Guides and how they... Um, how a gathering of sentinels and guides in one place caused a, a, an emergence of them across the world. So it, it, that also is a really unusual world building. So a cautionary tale about, um, um, uh, I wanted a cautionary tale about when you're doing your, um, your, your inexplicable babies. Be careful. We've had, we've had this conversation in other contexts. Be careful about originality for the sake of itself. Because there's always the writers, writers like any other creative person, they want to stand out, they want to do something unique. But a lot of times when it comes to tropes, especially, especially the more well-worn a trope is, a lot of the ways you stand out is in your execution of the trope, not in doing something utterly bizarre with it. Um, I'm not saying you can't do something original. Um, uh you can't you can you can some people have really unusual and new ideas and that's um go with it but think through what what those unexplored ideas mean and what the ripples and ramifications are because there's nothing quite like a an idea and i see this a lot in sentinel guide stories where someone is trying to reinvent the wheel of the Sentinel Guide universe, which is fine. There is room to bring in new stuff, but it's like they're trying to bring in, reinterpret stuff or do something that nobody else has done before. And sometimes it works and sometimes more often than more often than not, though, it just feels like originality for the sake of itself. And it doesn't feel like it's doing anything but being a distraction. Um, so just be, I would just put that little caution out there is if you're, if you're spending a lot of time trying to find a way to be different from anything else that's been written on, on the trope front, not on the story front, but on the trope front, just stop to ask yourself why, why are you investing all this time trying to find a way to write a different wish baby so that it's not a wish, it's something else, you know, it's just think about why, why are you spending all that time on the original, on the originality side of it? For me, I like to take tropes that are very common and focus more on the characterization and the world around it with the trope. Because tropes are where they are. And you can dress it up any way you want to, but at the end of the day, most romance novels are Cinderella. Um, <clears throat> or Beauty and the Beast. It, it, that's true for most romance movies as well. And it's not about the plot or it, the trope and how you use the trope. Um, it's it's about how your characters interact and respond with the trope to me. That's where I get my... That, that, that's where I find my satisfaction as a writer. Um, exploring uh, the idea of, um, of what this baby will do to the lives of my characters. Like, you know. Like, for instance, I am writing a 911 fit for the Big Moxie and... Um, Buck makes a half-hearted, well, he, he makes a, he makes a exclamation basically to the universe. He tells the universe he wants a baby and a fairy grants his heart wish and he's single. He's, he's by himself. He's, this is before the ladder truck incident. Um, he, uh, he 
he's kind of at a, a loose ends because him and him and Allie have broken up, and he, he just wants a family. So he just tells the universe he wants a baby, and he gets one, and um, it changes a lot of things, and it ripples out. The delivery of this baby means he's not even in the station when that bomb gets put on that ladder truck. And the other characters are responding to his absence um, and what that means for their roster because they don't have enough assets for heavy rescue and there was no time to get a replacement because he got the baby overnight. So they're, they're waiting on the replacement and what's happening there. And, and it just ripples out this, this baby landing in Buck's life the moment that he did. It ripples out through um, canon events and changes things. It changes relationships. It changes... Um, people's expectations um buck has been granted a wish baby as a single parent and that is um, bordering on a myth um and so just the ba the wish baby mechanics itself is very simplistic it's done over and over and over again and it's not really about that for me it's about what happens afterwards how does everybody adjust to the arrival of of this baby who um and how does Buck respond and how, uh, you know, what's Christopher think? And, you know, um, you know, here's Eddie looking at this like, I, I think I want all that. <laughs> you know? So, you know, it's like there's this like this. The character dynamics are more important than the mechanics of, of how the baby gets there. Whether it's a, a, a male pregnancy um, or whether it's a wish baby or an alien technology baby. I have an inexplicable baby with John and Rodney. It's actually an EAD um, where um, John and Rodney make a baby in an ancient device off world by accident. And um, the people on this world have been using those technology babies as sacrifices. And when John realizes that they're going to sacrifice his kid, he goes full with his gun. <laughs> and he kills a... I was going to say full erratus bug. No, that's probably not where you were going. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. He goes, um, he goes full warrior on them and he kills a lot of them to get Rodney and ba the baby off that planet. Um, because it's their baby and he's not going to part with it. And that becomes even a bigger issue later on because Rodney is getting ready to leave Atlantis with Keller and John is absolutely not going to allow them to take his son to Earth period in their discussion um and he's willing to leverage all the social capital he has and political capital he has on atlantis to keep his child in a direct mirror of what he did on that planet when he killed a whole bunch of people to keep his child um and then rodney has to make a decision about what he's going to do if is, is he going to stay on the city with this baby that he's inadvertently made with john um or is he going to late leave and, and Go back to Earth with Keller like he planned. It's called The Gift. It's on EAD. And Lady Holder just put up a link. Um, and again, it's not about the creation of the baby or how the baby got there. Although they are going to go back and get that device from the baby from those assholes so they can't do it again. Um, that's in my plot. They're going to go steal that device. Um, but, I mean, the, the baby, baby either deliberately created with ancient technology or, in this case, accidentally created with ancient technology where they don't, it, or even uh, them being unaware of a baby being, <clears throat> excuse me, created with ancient technology is something, you know, we've seen before in stories. Mm -hmm. But it's the implementation of what do you do with it? How do you implement it? How do you have the characters react? You know, that kind of thing. Um 
And I'm trying to think of how you could try to, I'm trying to think of how I, you could reinterpret that to be original for the sake of itself. Um, I guess you could do something really convoluted where, um, well, I don't want to go there because that just got really ugly in my head really quick. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking some pretty ugly things too. Um, but anyway, I, the, I mean, you I could did, have I those did... people stealing people with ancient DNA and taking them back to that planet and forcing them to make babies for a sacrifice. But that wouldn't be That's original for the sake. But that wouldn't be original for the sake of itself. That would just be a, no. a dark exploration. But original for the sake of itself would feel like um, I don't know, like uh, that they're cloning sperm to make babies with. Like they get sperm to clone sperm and use the clone sperm to make babies. It's like in in the ancient, <laughs> in the in the ancient device. It's like why 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 are we going to? I mean, do you see what I mean about original for the sake of itself? It serves no function. You got the sperm. Yeah. Why do you need to clone the sperm? Why do you want to, clone to make it? the baby? And there's some case of where. Um, there's some cases where you read pe some people doing like like Sentinel Guide World Building where it feels like that level of absurdity. Like this is original for the sake of itself. Like this serves no function. Um, this this you know obviously the authors put a lot of thought to it and they've definitely explained it, but it just doesn't serve any function. Uh, so you know be careful about going down that path about where you're trying so hard to not just write that they use their DNA to make a baby that you write something convoluted that, you know, where you go down this bizarre path just at the end of the day to have, they use their DNA to make a baby. So why did we have this convoluted path that they use their DNA to make a baby? There's a really good male preg in Stargate Atlantis called Surrogate by Seeker Geek where John stumbles across a device off world um, that would allow him to make to carry a baby. Um, and Rodney had been in an accident where he b was basically rendered infertile. Um, and John realized this was an opportunity that he had to give, to, to, to give Rodney a baby. Um, so he does. And it's called Surrogate by Seeker Geek. And um, it is, it is great. I highly recommend it. But it's the, it's the, it is the male preg fic that changed my mind about male preg. Yeah, I think it could change a lot of people's mind about male prayer because it is facilitated with technology in a way that, to me, made a lot of sense. It kind of bridges that that uh, that for for sometimes for people who can't get past the it just doesn't work that way. Um, it kind of bridges that sci-fi sci-fi can help bridge a lot. Um, but you know, there are a lot of ways you could. I think you could get really wrapped around the axle with world building in a fairly straightforward trope so just i would just caution you this is my my caution don't don't let yourself do that you know unless 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 it really serves a purpose just make make sure yeah, I mean, cause... It, world building always needs to serve a purpose and if you're if you're just if your world building is because if at the end of the day if you're breaking down your world building and the reason why you're doing something is because you're trying to be different from everybody else that is not a reason it's a weird if kind of vanity it is. If the reason why you're doing something that might be slightly weird is because you're trying to ensure an outcome, well, that actually makes sense because we all do that all, all the time where we structure our world to ensure a certain outcome. Like we put something into our world building to make a certain outcome happen. 
it's like, okay, so if I structure the world in this way, then then this is the thing that happens. Um, I actually did the entire world building for the Every Moment series, the Soulmate, Soul My Soulmate series. I did that entire, the entire world building to set up a scenario where Eddie and Buck could have known each other for years, be soulmates, and not know it. <laughs> so that was, my en- that was my end game. I wanted this scenario where they could be soulmates and not know it. And... Um, Good God, you're fast. But anyway, um, but uh, <laughs> I wanted this moment Lejos where, on the game. yeah, I wanted this moment where, you know, I, I had this specific moment that I wanted in mind where their soulmate marks came up late in their, later in their relationship. And, um, and so I, I re I structured the world building and all of the stuff around, um, but i i structured this curious curious about something in chat she does have a list i have a list but i um yes it is if you go over to the fandom page and click on the tab it there's a list of titles it is in alphabetical order dude not internally, it is not. What does that mean? You're lucky you're where you are. I'd be stabbing you with my pen right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pointing my pen at my screen right now. <laughs> She's poking at you with her pen. No, but I have an alphabetized list of all my titles um, on my site. Just saying. Anyways, Jilly. <laughs> anyway, in that case... um. Uh, I did the world building to accomplish a goal. So I tried to make the world building make sense to make it accomplish the goal that I wanted. And then I kind of did some cross-checking to make sure I wasn't having doing something that made no sense in the end. But so that, so if the reason why you're doing something accomplishes, because I'm trying to make this plot and probability happen, that is a good reason to do something with your world building. Um, because I'm trying to do something nobody else has done, because I'm trying not to be like other people, I don't find that to be a compelling reason to do something convoluted in your world building. <laughs> um, you're on the wrong... You're... She's in my category. She's not on the actual page. She's in the category. And the category yeah. is done by uh, date. Um, but uh, the posting date is how, um, how I set my categories up. Um, yeah. But... But uh, the one thing about surrogate is that is there are a lot of Stargate fix where somebody gets pregnant because of alien technology. It's a very common trope in Stargate. But what's interesting and what stands out to me about surrogate is John's characterization and John's journey um, as he is carrying these babies because there's two. Um and uh, his relationship with Rodney and how it changes. And as someone pointed out earlier in the chat, this is a fic where Jennifer Keller is um, good. She's a 100% on John's side. When someone suggests an abortion, she loses her shit. Because it's implied, like, it's given like it's a it's a done deal that, that he would get an abortion. Like, he didn't even have a choice um, during this conversation. And 
you know, Keller comes down on him, comes down on the, on the, on the suggestion, like a ton of bricks. And it's just really protective of John's rights as a patient and as a person. And so it's great characterization for her. Um, and when the author had an opportunity to, you know, default to character bashing, because she was with McKay at the time that this happened, um, she didn't, or they didn't. I don't know what's, uh, I have no idea what, if what Seeker Geek's gender is. Um, they didn't. Um, and, you know, I love to bash Jennifer character as much as the next bitch. Jennifer Keller as much as the next bitch. But it's interesting to see when someone doesn't and what they do with her. Um, so for that, in that respect, surrogate um, is um, kind of like a shining star for male preg to me in, um, in Stargate. Definitely. <clears throat> Because her characterization is interesting and, and John's journey and Rodney's investment in the babies and in John is is really interesting as well. So I, you should definitely give it a read if you haven't read it and, and you're in the Stargate fandom. It, it would, you won't regret it. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very good. But, like, the actual, like, how do you say that word? Precip precipitating event? Precipitating? Uh -huh. That's like, that's rain. Precip that's precipitation. Precipitating event is, um, is this pregnancy, but it's not like the actual devices, like, you know, how the pregnancy happens. It, that it stops being the point pretty much immediately. Cause once it's done, it's done and there's no harping on it or continued world building around it. It just got done and here we go. And here we go. You know, so it, she just hits the ground running with the idea that John is pregnant. And he doesn't even tell anybody immediately. He keeps it to himself for a while. Um, until he realizes he can't go off world anymore because he's in, you know, cause, cause he'll endanger the pregnancy. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the characterization is, is amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. a very good, it's a very good story. The exploration and the craft work is, is on point. I think that was part of like a Stargate Big Bang at one time. It was like one of the Big Bangs for Stargate, which is how I came across it. It's also how I read Thousand Mother, which is, there are fix that come along every once in a while that just kind of change your perspective about a fandom. And Thousand Mother by Springwolf is one of them. Um, I, I don't think I've read that one. It is mind-blowing. I mean, I don't even want to talk. I, I, I don't even want to describe it. I, I, you, you have to read it for yourself. That it, it's one of those fics where you just have to read it for yourself because it kind of transcends fan fiction. Um. Oh, okay. So I, it, yeah, it's called Thousand Mother, and it's Stargate, and um, I read it originally on uh on a Big Bang site, and I don't even know if it's still available. Yeah. Spring Wolf is on AO3. Am I getting the title wrong? I don't think I am. Yeah, it's Thousand Mother, one word. One Thousand Mother is one word? Yeah. And that's the it's title? It's an alien creature. Yeah. 
It's, it's called Thousand Mother. It's one word. It's by Spring Wolf. S-P-R-I-N-G-W-O-O-F. And the um, summary is, fleeing from the from a wraith and surprise attack, John, Rodney, Taylor, and Ronan are separated, stranded on a cold, harsh planet without help, supplies, or a stargate. As they struggle to survive and find each other, the team discovers a new alien race, secrets that the ancients left behind, including a secret about ascension that neither the ancients nor the Ori want anyone to know. And um, it was a part of the 2009 SGA Big Bang. I think it's the same Big Bang that I read um, Surrogate from. Because they're kind of like connected to me. Like they're not connected like literally as fixed. But they're kind of together in my mind. So I think I read them around the same time. And it could be that I found the Big Bang site. And read them at the same time. Even if they weren't part of the same event. Um, it is 48,000 words. Uh, it's just it's really good it's really good and the thousand mother is the alien species and it's the origin of ascension so it's it's really interesting um i i highly recommend it but again i don't think necessarily the idea that the the uh, the ascension isn't like an ancient thing the surrogate is by secret geek and we had a link earlier up in the chat but maybe someone can do another one um and it isn't original in the fandom to say that ascension didn't come from the ancients themselves or even the ori that it was something that they took from other people or, an, or another species um yeah definitely not because i've read uh, that in other other stories um uh, and i've never read that story so i, I but I mean, certainly people can get wrapped around the axle and think that they have. I, I'm not saying that about this author because I'm not familiar with, but certainly people can get um, think that they have some sort of idea um, ownership, which they don't, about a, a basic concept like that. Um, but I mean, don't 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 worry about that side of it because odds are, even if you've only read one Wish Baby story, you know, odds are there are other Wish Baby stories, so you just don't need to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, I even included an alternate um, method by which uh, ascension could have happened in Sentinels of Atlantis. Um, and yet, well, no, 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 that was the ATA gene. It was the ATA gene that came from the um, from the original people from Satita. Um, I think I was going to play with ascension, but changed my mind. But there is some ascension principles in Sentinels of Atlantis that don't mesh with canon because um, of Sentinels and Guides. Which, if Sentinels and Guides are also ascending. I don't think the Ascended would exist the way they do in canon. I mean, I just don't think so. You know, so there's, you know. And I think there was also different levels of Ascension. Like, you know, there was, like, Ascension. And then there was, like, oh, I've been here longer than you, so shut the fuck up. Ascension. <laughs> in Sentinels of Atlantis. But, again, it's about how you take a trope and explore it for yourself as a writer and as a maker um, with your characters and their reactions and the ripples of, of the events that you include. Um, how is this baby going to um, impact your characters and the world around them? And that's where that's for me, that's the litmus test is if I'm doing my job as a, as a writer, am I impacting my characters to a degree that by the end of the fic they're not the same that they that they've grown and changed as people because you don't want your characters to be static or at least i don't want my characters to be static the less said about what ncis writers want for their the real ones not the fan fiction writers that sounded weird i didn't mean it that way 
the showrunners wanted for their characters versus what we wanted for them in fandom are in two entirely separate things. Because um, sometimes you see on TV characters regress rather than progress. And it's so frustrating. And yeah. Tony Dinozo was a big one for that. I mean, in one episode, he'd be incredibly, inco- you know, incredibly competent. And then in the next, he'd be an idiot. It's like, you know how not? difficult it is to shoot at a run and hit your target? I mean, honestly, a lot of people couldn't stand still and hit a target. But to shoot on the run and hit your target is some next level skill. And Tony Dinozo demonstrated it more than once in the show. And then they turn around and make him an idiot and not very good at his job in the next possible moment. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, and, and like there was this one episode where he um, he always was able, one of the things he had always been in canon was a good communicator, smooth and able to talk to pe- pretty much anybody in any walk of life kind of thing. And then all of a sudden he has an episode where he's, um, like there's that episode even where he's like at Seknav's house con- investigating a crime and he's fine. And then there's that episode where all of a sudden he's confronted with um, I don't remember which I don't remember which um, which politicians it was or which heads of which agencies it was, but he just turned into a blithering a blithering idiot, like uh, like a complete a complete dodo brain. It was like, what in the world is going on over there? The lack of consistency in characterization on TV shows like that, especially long running ones, is a real problem. They do it to kind of have, um, you're seeing it, we see it a little bit um, in 911 too, um, and they do it so they have, they can have a joke episode or have a joke moment or ha ha, isn't this funny? And often, no, it's not funny. We are, we are not amused. No, we are not. <laughs> it reminds me of that scene in The Matrix where the twins, it's like, because I think it's part two, it could be part three, I don't remember. Um, maybe, maybe it's part two, where he says, we are not pleased. And the other one says, no, we are not. <laughs> that's, that's fandom in a nutshell right there. We are not pleased. Yeah, Ellie, that was one of the things that drove me absolutely bonkers about um, the between seasons, season six and season seven. Uh, I think that's the season where that break is, is, you know, Ziva left and um, McGee and McGee and Tony were really good together and got along great. Good. McGee was stepping up. He was good teammate, good investigator. Ziva comes back. It, it just all, all the characterization they'd done went away. It was just was so, it was so annoying. It was just so annoying. It's like they decided after writing that that they didn't like what they'd written, so they retconned it. Yeah. But what it comes what what it looks like to the outside perspective is that Ziva is a detriment to the team. Yeah. It is. And and so and that's what the way fandom writers will will write it. Which is also, you know, boils back to the fact that a lot of times female characters are written really terribly in Hollywood, especially on TV. They're written as irrational and unreasonable. And I know one of the biggest jokes in in Friends was, were they on a break? Which, if you watch Friends, you'll know what that means. Rachel and Ross were in a relationship, and they had a fight and broke up, and he went out with or slept with somebody else, 
and she got mad and basically thought that he was cheating on her when they had decided that they were going to take a break from each other. So the running joke was, is that Ross um, was it, like, it we were on a break. And she would it, get irrationally angry about it. And it was just bad. It, it was very much that, an ugly trope. That joke persisted for for many. I think it went all the way through to the end of practically to the end of through the end of the the series, and it was it was it got old, it got old quick. And the fact of the matter is, is that they were literally on a break. Yeah. But what that meant was is that she wanted to break from him, but she wanted him to not look at not even look at other people while they were on this break. Yeah, her which made her irrational and selfish. It was bad her writing. Expect- her expectation of break was ridiculous. And I honestly never found it funny. No. And these days, she'd probably be called out for slut-shaming. <laughs> it was badly done. That episode was badly written. And then all the episodes where it came up afterwards were also badly written. Um, and Like there's this quote. From As Good As It Gets, where the receptionist asks, how do you write women so well? This is Jack Nicholson's character, right? Melvin Udell? That's Jack? Yeah. Jack Nicholson's character says, I think of a man, I take away reason and accountability. Well, let's be real, Jack. Melvin. White men in this country don't have accountability. And every single one of you in the public eye is unreasonable. You only have to watch 15 minutes of CNN to figure that out. I have other opinions that I won't mention because it require a trigger warning. <clears throat> but there is no single creature on this planet more entitled than a middle-aged white man. Unless you're looking at the 20-something white man in America. Where the entitlement is just different. But yeah. no less toxic and frustrating and bad for society. But women are irrational and aren't accountable. Okay. Double bird. <laughs> At least that wasn't presented as some kind of great truth because you know. No, no. It was it was it, he was an asshole in that in that movie. So it wasn't like it was but still. He still got the girl in the end. Yeah, I I didn't understand the whole I didn't understand it at all. Oh, white dude gets hot girl? That's a trope, right? Well, it's not even the him being old and her being hot that is the issue. It's him being an asshole. I don't understand the whole asshole gets the girl trope. I, although That's that the, probably... But the, what that really is is the nice guys finish last trope. He wasn't a nice guy. No, I'm saying that assholes get the girl because the nice guy finishes last. That nice guys don't you know you know that whole thing like with pretty in pink i don't like it i don't like it he hates it precious <laughs> julie doesn't he hates it. julie doesn't like it <laughs> you can hear the nose wrinkle <laughs> yeah i could too <laughs> so much distaste so much <laughs> But yeah, characters, like, I strive to write characters um, that are uh, realistic, that grow and change. And, um, and 
Some and, writers and, don't. <laughs> and, the, and when it comes to fan fiction, I strive to write characters that are better than their than their canon selves because often the canon character is often incomplete, either incompletely presented or shallowly presented. And so we've talked before before about how you have to you have to flesh that stuff out. And so um and sometimes that means your character may seem a little diverted from canon because sometimes canon characterizations um are very one-dimensional. Often in depending upon the type of canon, we may only get a very narrow view at a character. So it's okay. It's okay. Also, maybe you just don't want to write that character exactly the way they're presented in canon. That's also okay. My goal in 911 Fix is always to resolve Eddie Diaz's emotional constipation. <laughs> That's a good goal. <laughs> that is my goal. That's 100% of my goal nearly all the time. <laughs> So it was really interesting to get him in a, in a moment where he is both physically and mentally vulnerable and um, and make changes. You know, it was it was really interesting. Um, and sometimes those those big moments of change uh, can go terribly wrong. And I think if you look at the canon circumstances that in his biggest moments of change, um, he let his parents run roughshod over him. In the wake of Shannon's abandonment. And you know. What would have happened if he didn't. And what would have happened if he hadn't internalized. All that trauma. From being shot three times in combat. Because it's canon that Eddie not only. Dislocated his shoulder. He broke several ribs. And got shot three times. And if he got shot three times in a war zone. He probably took. 50 caliber rounds. Three of them. Let, let that sink in. No, well, no, I had an uncle who was shot three times at combat and came home. I can't say all of him came home, but he came home. I mean, I think most of his damage was emotional, um, but he walked with a limp the rest of his life as well. The magical condom factory had a little mishap. Nine months from use, fathers have a chance of receiving a bundle of joy. Everyone stares at Buck, wondering how many bundles he could possibly get. Ellie is just here for the chaos. She's just here for the chaos. <laughs> the magical condom factory. I, uh, where, <laughs> I got questions that you don't want to answer in this fic, but um, where is the magical condom factory? <laughs> and, and who runs it? <laughs> and was this mishap sabotage or just ineptitude? <laughs> I would like to know how Wish. You know, I mean, I would like to know Wish Baby birth control work. Because, like, I mean, I had questions in one of the Wish Baby stories. Um, people to prevent Wish accidental pregnancy, accidental babies, because apparently that's where babies come from. Is you know, Wish Babies to prevent accidental babies, which you people take suppressants, right? How do you suppress wishing? <laughs> It was such an interesting concept, but like none of that is explained. Everything was inexplicable, and I just kind of wanted. To, I mean, it was great story, but I still wanted to find the author and double bird them. I think it was the same story that there were suppressants in that story. Maybe I'm conflating these so. stories, yeah. but um, styles, <laughs> styles, and <that I> <laughs> 
You can't blame Styles for that kind of accident. That's harsh. That's just rude. That's just rude. So it That's was also real. like a a total um uh class action lawsuit waiting to happen. <laughs> okay, so let's go over. So in the in the sci-fi realm, so let's let's break it up by genre. In the sci-fi realm, we've got um. Now, when you when you get into magical realism, you can do a lot of different stuff. But within the sci-fi realm, we've got alien technology. Um, whether the alien technology creates uh, a a pregnancy, or alien technology creates um, a test tube baby, or the alien technology just creates a random baby, um, or an alien gets a human pregnant. Or, like if a or, if if a male alien came to Earth and got a human male pregnant, or that, that would be inex- <laughs> just saying. that that that's that that's inexplicable in the realm of sci-fi. I mean, in the realm of impreg. Yeah. So, but in the yeah. realm of sci-fi, so you've got so you've got all of this technology. Basically, it's sci- sci-fi tropes revolve around technology facilitating pregnancy, right? I would mm-hmm. say fantasy tropes. Um, a lot deal with either magic or something related to other species procreating differently. So whether it's planting, carving, magic, um, whether it's uh, and magic could be variety of things, R- baby of ritual, um, um, m- baby of ritual could be baby the they they have their own version of a test tube baby where babies are grown in an orb instead of in the body or whatever. Um, so, uh, there's, and then, what what else, what, what would be some other fantasy tropes? I guess you could have a, a sort of a version of the stork or like wish babies in, a, that could be kind of a fantasy-ish trope. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Stork, cabbage, um, carving, wishing. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I can think of that on those lines. Um, um. Ritual budget you already mentioned. Um, potion baby. Auxiliary yeah. womb created through potions. Yeah. Magic. Um, I touched something Fae weird. Baby. Suddenly there was a baby. Yeah. I mean, there's those, that, that thing about children and babies being stolen by the Fae. Um, what if, like, what if babies appeared in Fae rings? If they were, if somebody worthy came near a Fae ring, worthy of a child, that a baby would appear. In the ring, and you could retrieve the baby, and it would be yours. I had an idea, kind of something similar to that, which is that babies weren't wished for. It's just occasionally babies were periodically delivered into the world um, to what, who the who the fae believed were deserving, or who somebody believed were deserving. Um, and there was like a big old yeah. announcement. <laughs> I guess Harry was an inexplicable baby for Bilbo Baggins in Small Magic. He fell out of the well, sky he, he, and again. But, he was all, but we but we all understood where Harry came from. He wasn't, he wasn't inexplicable to us. Um, yeah, but he was definitely unrealistic to Bilbo. <laughs> like what? Because not only is this child from another world or another dimension, he's a wizard, but not their kind of wizard. <laughs> right. But and he's have to... also about a third of Bilbo's size. Because but you'd have to Bilbo is whole... small. But if you'd have to, in that case, you'd have to write the whole story from Bilbo's point of view, 
as yeah, from when he from, from when he gets him yeah. from Bilbo's point of view, and then when you reveal it, it would be more like trope subversion again than actual trope. Yeah. Um, so I've never abused... really read Mercedes Lackey. I, I mean, I always either. people always tell me that I should, but I just uh, I don't know. I just couldn't get into her author voice. Um. So um. And then in contemporary, when you go into the contemporary, when you move into contemporary spaces, you've got, um, well, you've got Wish Babies. I think Wish Babies is an easy one in contemporary space. Um, mm-hmm. Probably the that, easiest. It, yeah. Um, another one you could do is sort of like with the with Kira and the idea with the variant verse or what what anybody does with contemporary impreg, which is where you do... Um, I, I mean, I guess any kind. Of, I guess technically any kind of carrier verse, um, which could could work in a contemporary space. I technically Omega verse mm-hmm. is, um, well, Omega verse is a type of carrier carrier verse, but uh, mm-hmm. the Rue, the kangaroo thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, any type of impreg or any type of any type of impreg is a type of carrier verse. So regardless of how they carry them. Um, or the or the mechanics behind it, whether it's omega, or the Kira use Kira can coin the term variant or um, whatever 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 get whatever world building gets you there. Um, dimension hopping baby, um, but the I'm trying to think of how inexplicable that baby is because the baby well it's not necessarily inexplicable but it is definitely unrealistic. I mean, there is no circumstance right now in our current society where somebody is going to drop a baby from another dimension in my lap. Oh, true. True. <laughs> like a wood. I'm too old for babies. <laughs> but, like, you know, if you wanted to do, like, an inexplicable baby with a dimensional hop- hopping baby, you could take a version of Morgan Stark as a baby and give her to another version or even the canon version of like hey if I if I wanted to give Morgan Stark back to Tony in Unleash Your Demons in shh, order to we, keep my story we, canon we, shh, we plotted this. Shh. Oh, did we? Oh okay, we did, didn't we? <laughs> oh I just wanted I just before 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 we in in the event I mean it it'd be it, it, the the general idea fine, but in the event you actually went to the actual idea we plotted i wonder yeah yeah i mean yeah you could just give because like with the multiverse opening with start with spider-man the idea that multiple versions of a character can exist is now canon in um in the mcu so they have the ability to bring back other characters like they did gamora who is dead but also alive because it's a a time-traveled version of her they could bring back black widow as a different version as from from a different dimension they can bring back tony stark who doesn't have a daughter and who never married pepper um they can bring back loki the same way so that in that way they have opened it up so no character that they killed in the mcu is permanently dead and because they also introduced various versions of spider-man they don't even have to use the same actor yeah or the same character. Like, we might get a female version of Tony Stark, which is canon in the comics. There is an Iron Maiden who is the female version of Tony Stark. 
and now all that is possible in the MCU because of Spider-Man multiverse, whatever it was. Oh, the Spider-Man into the multiverse thing or whatever it was. Yeah. I think that was yeah. Spider-Man into the multiverse. Um, so Shadow says, there are interesting opportunities for magical realism with contemporary fandoms and inexplicable babies. I just, it kind of got me, like I had said this like tangential idea, like what if like you had like as a side effect of like a magical working or something, like two people are doing a highly compatible magically and like the byproduct that they're completely a surprise by is a baby like the ritual's <laughs> over and like oh there's a baby were you expecting a baby i wasn't expecting a baby did you follow the plan did you did you follow the plan explicitly did the book did say anything that did the book say anything <laughs> about a baby is there an extra is, is there an extra room <laughs> how we get here I feel like we need to go back and consult the re our references because this was not expected. You do a paternity charm? I did half because in the case of magic, they'd have to be like, they'd have to be like, is did we did we did we steal a baby? Right, they would have to verify parentage to make sure they didn't steal somebody's baby. Okay, so it's Spider Man No Way Home and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, but they both kind of broke open the 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 alternate versions, right? They kind of made it. Doctor Strange is a result of Spider Man, his circumstances, which I blame Steve Rogers for. <laughs> Steve Rogers is the one who went back in time and time traveled and stayed there. It's his fault. And how come Steve Rogers got to stay in the past, but that time agency jumped Loki's shit for doing the same thing? Now, I didn't actually watch Loki, but I'm just saying, how come Captain Tight Pants got away with it, but Loki didn't? <laughs> Special snowflake syndrome. I don't know. Does Chris Evans have a better ass than Tom Hiddleston? Um... I mean, it's America's ass, yes. But does that make it necessarily better? <laughs> The commentary yeah, I, in the chat room is amazing. <laughs> I think I think it depends. I think it depends upon what you define as a good ass, right? Because if you're not a bubble, if you're, I have to agree. If you're, somebody said that Chris Evans is more of a bubble butt. If you're not a bubble butt person, you're not gonna. You're gonna prefer Tom Hiddleston's butt. A bubble butt. A, a bubble butt is a very specific preference. Chris being specific, Chris Evans has a hard apple butt. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely bubbling. It's it's, yeah, <laughs> I get you, I get where you're coming from. <laughs> but I think Jason Momoa might have the most beautiful ass on the planet. <laughs> what? <laughs> Just I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> Chris Evans' butt does look like it's an accessory versus uh <laughs> something that came with his body. <laughs> And it might be. I mean, who knows what kind of prosthetics they... <laughs> it's better in movement than it is in that still shot. But he has a beautiful ass. He he really does. Now, why he dropped trowel on, uh, on... Like, not talk to Tom, I have no idea. I think he was trying to prove that he has a dad bod now. Because um, he's not working out. <laughs> 
Oh, oh no, I, 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 I couldn't handle movie stuff right now anyway. What I'm getting from it is, uh, it is uh, that he wears uh, uh, board shorts a lot. You know, <laughs> that t- those tan lines are very specific. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's. let's oh, the loincloth. He wears a loincloth. A man can wear a loincloth if he wants to. Well, I think it has something to do with the. There was those pictures of him. Um, um, it basically in the loincloth on a boat fishing or something. I don't know. And then ah. this was after that. I don't. I don't know. I. I there are multiple things that I saw one after the other, but <laughs> yeah. So, um, inexplicable babies. So just or, what was the imp- what was the other word we were using instead of inexplicable? Unrealistic. Babies. Unrealistic. Unrealistic. Because I was sitting there, I was going improbable. No, that wasn't the word. <laughs> But improbable works too, and it's an improbable baby. Um, so with your unrealistic baby, um, I think calling it unrealistic makes it a little more approachable, honestly, um, for those who are you know who get easily the, wrapped true, up in those terms. For, for someone like me, but for the person who, for someone like me who can get really wrapped up, but for the asshole who is trying to find a way to you know kind of be a dick. Um, unrealistic baby they're gonna have some 70 year old woman having a kid <laughs> yeah you know because yeah. you know somebody would so the point is to use a trope outside of a man putting his penis inside of a, a human man putting his pe- penis inside of a human woman and they produce a child okay do something else <laughs> broaden your mind pull that baby from the ether what if what what if the veil of death started spitting out babies it's not actually the veil of death you guys you guys have what if somebody like noticed that the runes were like backwards it's not the veil of death it's only the veil of life but somebody got it set up wrong and the minute they get the runes fixed start spitting out babies That'd be a lot of babies. We've already gone down that road of a lot of babies. It's difficult to place a lot of babies at once. <laughs> maybe that that maybe that veil was supposed to be the source of like you know where new magical blood was supposed to come from, and it said they've been inbreeding. <laughs> because wow, and like, we've been inbreeding because someone set the veil up wrong. <laughs> Y'all moved it here and set it up incorrectly, and look at what happened. Typos, the bane of everybody's existence. If only we had got those instructions from somebody who wasn't from Ikea. Well, if I, mean, I was going to write a fix-it for the clone army, I wouldn't rescue three million clone babies. I'd make sure three million clone babies didn't happen, personally. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, I um, One clone baby in a... In, in a I actually find, um, if it was a baby... But like, if it, Jack O'Neill's clone was it could have been an inexplicable baby if it had been a baby, mm-hmm. um, because cloning is is unrealistic. Human cloning is unrealistic, and so if if you went kind of down that path of where oh alien grabbed him, tried to tried to clone him, but oh well we couldn't age him up, so here you raise yourself. I don't want to raise myself. I don't even like myself that much. <laughs> There are some weird ass moments in Stargate. Letting just releasing Jack Clone into the wild as a teenager is one of them. It is weird. It is weird. And 
And also, no 40-ish year old man is going to be comfortable in a 16-year-old body flirting with 16-year-old girls. No. At least not a decent one. That's just... I mean... Gross. And the, and the weirder side of it is it's so many op- so often that because the body is 16, people, fan fiction writers, think that that's a pass to put him with a romantic interest who is of his physical age group. It's like... Oh, Especially I, when he's super young. Yeah. And he's super young. Um, instead of like, you know, like, honestly, clone Jack O'Neill has no business with a 16-year-old. It's gross. I, no. I don't know how clone Jack O'Neill ever has a... It, it's a really... When you really dig into it, I don't know how he ever really... I He'd have to... I think he'd have a really hard time with the actual relationship. I mean, wait until he's in college and having one night stands is one thing, but actual relationship until he's older to have somebody who's got some real experience, he's going to really outstrip anybody he is with in terms of life experience and knowledge in a way that's almost unfair. In, in what might've been, I had um, him kind of have a, really hard mental moment and um, asked Thor to give him an adjustment. He, he asked Thor to adjust his memories and because he was having a hard time letting go of his wife because at that point, Jack O'Neill was married to Sam Carter in, in what might've been when, when the clone happened and he was having a hard time separating who he was and is. And so there was a, an adjustment both genetically and emotionally and mentally so that he could have a decent life because he was spiraling, which for me is like, I'd want to see memory removal or memory augmentation or something in a situation like that. Now lady holder had a clone of Daniel Jackson made to be clone Jack's, you know, kind of partner and, in all this mess that that got made. And I've seen that done a couple of times in fandom where Thor agreed to make a clone version of Daniel Jackson to match the clone of Jack O'Neill so that they could, you know, at least have each other. Um, so that I've seen that, I've seen that done a couple of times in fandom. Lady Holder did it. And which one did you do it in? Was it the slow side of indifference or did you do it more than once? Yeah, so a lot of five indifference. Um, which I think, you know, honestly, uh, if... I mean, I put Clone Jack on Atlantis in Lantean Legacy to give him a different, like, you know, environment and perspective to work with. Um, just kind of separate him from Earth, which I, th- which I think is a very good idea to do. Um, it also keeps him safe and keeps the information that he has with him safe because he's a security risk running around. Um, but I think they made a very cowardly decision during that episode because if I'd have written it, I'd have killed him. He'd have died. You'd you'd have killed the clone? Yep. Not killed him, killed him, but I would have, I would have made his problem unfixable and he would have, he would have passed or ascended. I'm just saying. I think if you're going to release him into the wild. I think fixing him was cowardly. Yeah, I think really, if you're going to release him into the wilds as a teenager, you take his memories and you release him into the wilds as a teenager. Um, but that's irresponsible because now, I mean, they they never even imply he has any kind of guardian or anything. Yeah, I mean, he'd ha- if you do that, if you make him an actual teenager, you have to, he has to then have an actual parent. But, and maybe Jack O'Neill's a nightmare. Um, 
as a child, but but yeah, you could you could you know. But we, if you're going to clone, clone responsibly. Uh, do better than the show creators. Um, but you could cloning could be after a fashion uh, an approach to inexplicable babies. Um, I hated high school the first time. There is no fucking way I would do it again. I'd be like, "Fuck you! I'm getting my GED. I'll see you later." <laughs> That's a big fat no from me. Mm. Just mm. Yeah, I can't. I if somebody said I had to do high school twice, I'd be like, "What? What kind of what kind of fucked up thing is that? I'm not doing this again." <laughs> I don't understand it either. Who wants to spend hundreds of years in high school, Edward? I'm talking to you. <laughs> well, apparently all of the Cullens. I mean, it's not just Edward. I don't get it. <laughs> I really don't. They all did it. They all just sat around and went to high school. Went to over high school. Over and over again. Over and over again. Did they move around or did the town just ignore the fact that these kids have been in high school for like, I don't know, ever how long high school has existed in that town? They didn't I move, don't. did they? <laughs> I honestly don't recall. That's a good point, Echo, that they could never give Jack any type of access in the future that could be duplicated by his clone, which is like, you know, retina scans, fingerprints. Yeah, realistically, his his clone is a huge security risk, and and his clone would be much better off on Atlantis uh, if he cares about his clone. I realize that the whole clone thing, the timing is not quite right, but um, the clone is better off and probably safer on Atlantis from the machinations of the government than he is... Um, yeah, I had him go to Annapolis in the Marines, and then eventually be transferred onto Atlantis. He's part of the second. He's part of the second wave for for Lantia Legacy when they do kind of a an end run around the people running the SGC and provide the support that Atlantis asks for uh, with, and get accused of treason. He's one of the ones that does that. So. Um, yeah, so cloning is a whole issue, but I mean, I think that it's, I think that you can definitely approach cloning as an inexplicable bla baby, uh, an extension of the inexplicable baby trope under the kind of the sci-fi umbrella, um, if you want to go that route. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else um, that we haven't kind of covered that. I mean, there's probably some fashion there's, or another. There's probably some. I mean, even probably even some macro categories that we haven't thought of, but. Um, but you've probably pretty much got fantasy um, tropes, uh, which is m like magic or um, and sci-fi. When it gets to sci-fi, different there's both different species being the inexplicable or um, the tropes around it being related to other species can be both fantasy or sci-fi. So um, when it comes to sci uh, fantasy, you've kind of got magic. You've got other species. When it comes to sci-fi, you've got technology um, and other species. So, you know, you do you, boo. And don't get wrapped up around the reaction about it because it'll be okay. Just I, Honestly, if you have fun with it, if you're not having fun with it, do something you are having fun with. There's just no point in getting so wrapped up in getting a trope, you know, exactly right or... Um, or whatever it is that you think you, you need to be doing, 
that you ruin your enjoyment of the challenge. There's just no point in that. It's supposed to be fun. And if, if you can't have fun with an unrealistic baby, what can you have fun with? Now, 5K is the minimum, but it's not the maximum. Obviously, right, I failed my challenge all four times. I did it recently. But um, it's because it's, it's it isn't supposed to be stressful. It's just supposed to be inspiring and cozy. Yeah, it's just supposed to have a good time. And it's not a good time if you're freaking yourself out. So I know some people, we have these discussions to kind of get people both kind of help spark creativity, but also some people can get really wrapped around the axle trying to understand a trope and am I getting it right? Um, you probably are, but it, 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 isn't that, <laughs> it, it, isn't, it isn't that deep. Don't worry about it. And for those of you who are participating in quarter four, um, we will start posting in 12 days as of my clock right now. Soulmates. I was like, what is the trope? I was like, uh, soulmates. Mm, soulmates. I, I, I still need to edit my fic. <laughs> I guess I'll I be have, doing that this weekend. <laughs> mine, mine I'm on my th third draft, though, so I feel good about it. I'm on, I have a two-parter. I need to finish writing the second part because I'm, I'm only partway through it. And uh, I need to then edit both. I need to, like, you know, I need to get on that. So I'm yeah. available for alpha read. As always, I, I, I will, I will let you do so. Um. <laughs> Lady Holder, no, no, not help. I'm offered to, I'm offering to read your soulmate fic too. <laughs> Early, because I'm a helpful bitch. I don't know if you did. Why? If, if you didn't, why didn't you? Here's the thing about Big Moxie and Quantum Bang. Um, it hurts nothing to sign up. And for the Quantum Bang, if you don't submit for art claims, don't worry about it. Because we're not going to worry about it. Don't worry about it. And it comes time for the Big Moxie. If you signed up a year ago and you have nothing to link to next week. Wow, week after next. That's okay. Because I'm not actually going to, you know, penalize you and cuss you out. Or even judge you. I'm not even going to judge you if you don't submit after signing up. Because the Big Moxie is about inspiring you, not punishing you or treating you badly or judging you. Um, so don't worry about it. Except for Lady Holder. I'm judging her right now. I honestly don't know if you signed up or not. But like I said, it hurts nothing to sign up. So you guys go over there to the website and sign up for next year's first quarter. Because we're doing four signups this year and next year instead of two, like I did last time. Um, you can thank the mods for that. Because I personally, actually you could thank Jilly for the two signups we had this year. Because if it had been me, I'd have had one sign-up form for all four quarters. You just, you just signed up for the whole year. In advance. <laughs> but Julie said, maybe two. And then the moms were like, definitely four. <laughs> so now there are four signups. You're welcome. And the first one is underway through the end of the year. Does anybody have any questions? About babies or signups or, you know, even if you have a question about a different challenge. <laughs> That we're involved in. Don't don't ask us questions about challenges we don't, you know. 
Yeah, I can't. I, I, I can't. Nothing. There, there's whole challenges I can't. I have. I have no control over, and I don't want any control over. Oh, there are some I like to micromanage the fuck out of, but that's beside the point. Yeah, there's, but I, there's others I wouldn't touch with someone else's ten foot pole. There was a a a, a challenge. Um, somebody pointed out. Oh, this there's this new this new bang coming out. Da da da. da. And I thought it was. It seemed like it, you know on the surface it's not going to be a really good thing based on the general description. But when you got in and you started reading about like what it was actually about, you know what it was, what the de details actually were. It was um, it was a list. There was a list of fandoms, which was interesting. It was a not any fandom. And, you know, like, we have we have any fandom as long as it's not RPF, you know. So we, we just, I don't care what fandom you write in as long as there's not real people involved. But, um, so this, but they had a very specific curated list of fandoms. And there wasn't a lot of commonality in the fandoms. It wasn't like they were all sci-fi or all procedurals or all fantasy. It was a real cross-section of fandoms. There was even some anime. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. A little bit of, a little, little, you know, from column A, a little bit from column B. And and then within those fandoms, specific pairings you could write. And then, and then, as if that's not enough, and then, um, there was a list of um, things you were, like tropes you were not allowed to write or something along those lines. Uh, what? Yeah, what? it was like, it was like you weren't <laughs> allowed to write. It'd be, it was along the lines of like, you can't write bottom jack type of thing, you know. Are you fucking serious? Yeah, and I'm like, so this author, so the whoever's running this challenge, and I, and please, I hope you can hear the air quotes. Um, whoever's running this challenge is just trying to curate a list of fic that they would personally want to read. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't enable that bullshit, guys. Just don't 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 write so, for somebody else like that. It's just it's gross. So, like I said, there are there are challenges I wouldn't touch with somebody else's ten foot pole. So the themes this year, and we're not. We will eventually repeat themes on the Big Moxie, but it's it's not the same as the Quantum Bang, which has the same theme every year, which is Fix It. Um, it's more like Rough Trade. What we did was is we took we took tropes and themes that were really popular on Rough Trade to do a small challenge on the Big Moxie for people who find Rough Trade intimidating. Because there's actually a, a, quite a small group of people who participate in Rough Trade every year. Comparatively speaking, to our membership for Just Right and Crossroads. So the rest of them are. Um, it's on the page. Here, hold on. Let's put my water baby aside. I bought this giant... Um, uh, Your water baby? Water bottle. I bought this giant Stanley brand water bottle it's 64 ounces and it you have to hold it to your chest like a baby before to drink out of it because it's so big. Okay, well, that makes sort of a, is an explanation because I was sitting here thinking we've t been talking about inexplicable babies for too long now that you think your water bottle is a baby. Because yes, I had Kira, a link. I put it up in. I put it up in um, the other. Can what do you guys get that link from mod so they can put it in the chat so they can see what I'm talking about? I mean, it is. I can't. I can't wrap my hands around it. Because yes, birthing a hydro flask would be inexplicable, but it's not a baby. <laughs> So the the themes are this quarter one is inexplicable baby slash unrealistic baby. Quarter two is fusion slash crossover. Quarter three is friends to lovers, which has never been a specific trope 
on Rough Trade, but I think it'll be really popular, something we can explore. I think often I explore it by accident. <laughs> and the fourth one is time travel. And that's for October through December of 2023. Um, and Oh, uh, someone, someone asked me recently about... Um, uh, platonic friends to lovers and I meant to pass that on to you and I forgot because um, I just kind of was like um, I, don't I don't think you understand what the word lovers means um, I mean I think you can have um, a romantic uh, non-sexual relationship like an ace relationship but and that would qualify as to me as, as lovers uh, under the trope for the purposes of the trope but I don't I think if it's truly platonic meaning there's no that was my thought. This was just my thought, but I thought I would just put put it out there for you to weigh in on. I, I, think I mean, if, 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 if it's truly platonic, it's just friends, right? Right. I, mean, I guess that it was could my be thought. romantic, but romantic, aromantic partners aren't lovers. Right, but it could be romantic partners, but, but non-sexual. Right. Like, asexual romantic couples aren't lovers, right? I kind of took that. Maybe I'm taking this trope too literally. That, that we've got, we've already discussed this, you know. Yeah, so. I, I think on that one. I mean, they might. I, I think that that's a that might be a case of yeah. That might be. I think that the sort of lovers might be in the might be a matter of uh, how people perceive themselves. Um, I don't know. I don't know, but I think I think if it's truly platonic, meaning it's non it's not rom romantic or if it's not romantic or sexual, I think if it's not one or the other at least, then it's just buddies. You're just friends. So I don't understand what the question was, and the question right. person this person asked me was specifically um, was specifically about a non romantic and non sexual relationship, and I was like, then they're just friends. Because I asked a clarifying question. I said, so you mean like, um, like they're asexual and they're in a, like a, a romantic relationship? No, no. Okay, so they're having sex, but it's not romantic. No. no. So they're just friends. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll check, but I don't understand. So friends to friends? <sighs> No, I mean I don't think it qualifies. I'm I'm sorry. I I I I think that I think the idea was maybe kind of like explore like the idea of like the idea of like platonic life partners kind of thing. But I just don't think that that's what the trope is about. Yeah, I understand that ace relationships can be sexual and romantic or not romantic, and I get it. But what they're not, but they're not. It is it. it <laughs> It's friends to friends. I don't know what they're. I don't know what they want. That's. Um, I think they're trying to get it. They they don't want to write a romantic relationship, and they're trying to get around doing it and still participate in the challenge, which is well. I think disingenuous. I think, yeah, I think what they want to write is platonic life mates kind of thing. Um, well, if I there's think, no sex and there's no romance, then they're just friends. Uh, I. I do think all my days would probably, ca I mean, if, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it would, I think it would qualify. That's definitely a romantic story. Yes. Yeah, they have a romantic relationship. Um, that's one where Buck's taking care of himself, right? Yes. And Eddie, okay. propo Eddie proposes at the end of that. It's a short, but Eddie proposes at the end of it. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I think that that is... I think in the story where Peter and Styles get married so their libraries can live together, the libraries are the lovers. <laughs> <laughs> and the libraries were friends before they Styles and Peter yeah. got married. So, you know, yeah, it probably... It's definitely, yeah. It probably qualifies. Um... But yeah, I I did kind of like try to suss it out. Like, do you mean this or this? But I was trying to, and I said, well, I'll double check. But I don't see how an exploration of like, um, platonic life mates would qualify. Um, but you know, under I mean, under... it's like they're trying to get they trying to participate without out. It it seems disingenuous to me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, that was my thought, but like I said, I just forgot that I had forgot this question had been posited and that I was supposed to ask because, you know, it's been, it's been a month. It's been nano. It's been nano. And actually somebody pointed out to me two days ago, I've been, I've been in the, um, trying to just stay, keep my head above water this month. And somebody pointed out to me two days ago that I forgot to put up the, um, I forgot this two months ago and nobody pointed it out to me. I forgot to put up the link page for Vibrant Autumn. <laughs> it's been two months. And so somebody pointed it out to me two days ago. And I was like, oh my God, I need to deal with that. And I still forgot to do it. Oh so, God, I'm so sorry. I'm usually no, more on the ball than that. No, it's, that's, that's I me. Mean, I just totally spaced it. I just, but somebody mentioned it to me two days ago and I was like, huh. I can't believe nobody noticed in two nobody's nobody's noticed in two months. Probably because people were planning to submit their links at the end of the month. We often get all the link submissions at the end of the month, so even if people have posted throughout the quarter. Um Yeah. So it's I mean it's not unsurprising. But I was a little bit just a little startled. I have the tab ready but the but the tab is empty. We also need cover art. So Yeah, yeah, I just I spaced. I'll put it on my list. And somebody, uh, will you will you will you put it on your on your list to make the art? <laughs> God, Jillian. I okay. know, I know. That's what that's because once they mentioned to me, I put I did write down somewhere need to make art for this page, and then I promptly, you know, I have no idea Didn't. where the piece okay. of paper is. It's on my list, but. Yeah, Desert Poet is the only reason we got... Uh, I actually prepped the page for Big Moxie, quarter four links, a uh, quarter four uh, next year's signups. Did not post it. I mean, it was like sitting in my draft. I, I I fixed it like weeks ago to get ready, and then I just never posted it yesterday, or on the first. And I had to be reminded, Desert Poet reminded me yesterday that I needed to post um, the uh, announcements for signups for Big Moxie quarter one. Because I had not done it. Nano was difficult. Not difficult, but it was time consuming. November is always difficult. just... Yeah, November is always just... And this month was a trial and a half. It just... It wasn't even about the writing. It was just... Life was just rough. Unpleasant over there. It was very unpleasant over here. I'm impressed. Honestly, I got this I got... 64 ounce of this Stanley Cup. I probably should have got the 40 because the 64... Is is it's the size of an infant? I don't know like, like how. Pre, honestly, like a, I'm sitting here wondering how, with your little, with, with your little tiny hands, how it handles a 64 ounce cup. It doesn't. That's the problem. My fingers. Okay, I got my hands around this thing right now. None of my fingers are touching each other. 
I've got both hands on this thing and none of my fingers were touching. I literally have to hug it to my chest to drink out of it. I mean, there's a commitment to staying hydrated and then there's that. <laughs> I don't know what that even is. I should have got the 40, but my husband got the 64 and I thought, well, I should get a 64 as well because he got one, right? Then his came in a couple of days before mine did because he ordered first and I ordered over later. And I was like, maybe I shouldn't have gotten that big one because his hands barely touch. They touch. His fingers touch. Mine do not. There is a half an inch between my thumbs right now and none of my fingers are touching. None. There's a half an inch on either side of this thing where, where my pans are, where I have no ability whatsoever to touch. If I had false nails on, I could. Long false nails. That, that's not touching, because then if you drop the cup, you snap your nails off. Right? It'd be awful. I mean, not that I've ever it's, done anything like that. My, my only excuse is it seemed like the thing to do at the time, and it was on sale. I got led astray by a Black Friday sale. Currently, it's $41, but when I bought it, it was 35 I was... I... It seemed like a good idea at the time is, you know... <laughs> it's like the most dangerous words in history. No, the most dangerous words in history are, Hey, y'all, look at this. Hey, y'all, check this out. Hey, buddy, you want to hold my beer? <laughs> right? <laughs> what if? That's true. Hey, what y'all, watch is, this. What, is, what if is really dangerous? That's when people start going, what if I, you know, just like in that 9-1 episode, strap, put myself on a motorcycle and strap myself to a merry-go-round, you know? <sighs> What if... Things go terribly wrong. What if is dangerous, but what if is also the most inspiring two words that I have. What if. Well, true, but in fan fiction, what if is also very dangerous. I'm just... Yes. I just got to put that out there because there's been some like, oh, I wish that author hadn't asked themselves that question. Because there was an author once who asked the question, what if the giant squid was sexually attracted to Hogwarts? What if the giant squid had sexual attraction? I mean, did we need that moment? No, no, we did not. What if Harry Potter got turned into a giant squid? No, no. The Yes, yes, it happened. Yes, it happened. He paid child support. With fish. <laughs> somebody, somebody needs to come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> oh, Harry Potter fans, we love you. We also hate you. Yes, yes. I do have a 40 ounce. The thing is, I have a problem. And it begins and ends with the fact that I really enjoy Hydro Flask. And I like to collect them. <laughs> This hide this sixty four ounce monster is a hydro flask. Well, no, it's a Stanley Ice Flow. Oh, I was like, I have a sixty four ounce hydro flask, and I can barely once it's full, I can barely lift it. I mean, this is this is heavy. I mean, this is this is heavy. 
I would it never... was decently. I would Let's never see. use anything of that sort as my main water source because I don't want it. Well, let me just put it this way. My mother had a 40 ounce, one of the 40, the 40 some odd ounce, the one that's in the 40s, the bo- the bottle, it's not one of the tumblers, um, Hydro Flask. And she had it full and she was at a hotel on vacation and she dropped it full on her foot. Let's just put it this way. There was a there was an emergency room visit in her future. How many ounces is a kilo? How many ounces in a kilo? Uh, a kilo? That doesn't even make any it's sense. A kilo kilogram. Is, ki- ki- kilogram. Kilo is weight and ounces is fluid. Well, asking- this hydro flask weigh- weighs one kilogram. That's how so much if I put 64 ounces of water in it, how much would it weigh? Um, well, 16 ounces of water weighs, I believe, about a half a pound. So... 32 ounces of water weighs a pound, so that's about two additional pounds, so about another kilo. Okay. So, 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 it'd, be about four, so it'd be about four pounds. Okay, 64 ounces is 1.81 kilograms. Of what, though? Because not all fluids weigh the same. It's water. Okay. Right? So, I've got 64 ounces of water and ice in this, and it weighed a kilo when it started. A liter of One water... Kilo- a liter of water weighs a kilo, Chris. That doesn't make it... No. Does water weigh more down under? <laughs> one liter of water has mass of almost exactly one kilogram. When measured at its maximal distance, density. But mass and weight are not the same. You're confusing volume and weight. So. Okay, a whole gallon of water weighs... Okay, so yeah, you're right. Yeah, sorry, Chris, you're right. A gallon of water weighs eight pounds, so... Yeah, a liter of water would weigh about two pounds. Therefore, a liter of water would would be about a kilo. So yeah, so yeah, if you put sixty four so, ounces, so if you put if you put sixty four if you put sixty four ounces of water in, you're adding about four pounds. Yeah. So how much does this damn thing weigh when it's full? If it weighs so, if you're adding four pounds on top of two pounds, it weighs six pounds. Six pounds. That's a workout. I told you I had to hold it to my chest to drink out of it. Good thing it comes with a handle. Like a handle to carry, not a handle to drink with, though. It's hefty. Yeah, it does as weighs as it weighs as much as a newborn baby. <laughs> Except I think babies are actually easier to hold. Probably. You know, they actually have, in their own little way, they have handles. Well, this has a handle. Really? Because my 64 ounce Hydro Flask does not have a handle. It's just a big old bottle. I, I shared a link earlier. Hold on. And why are, and why are you trying again. to get your hands around it? I was just demonstrating how thick it is that I couldn't get my hands to go around it completely. And then I had to, hold, I, the, I had to hug it, basically, to get it, you know comfortable to drink out of. I'm not seeing a handle. 
I mean, like a carry hand. I'm talking like a handle to hold it. No, 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 no. There, there's no handle. J just the carrier handle. So when you want to actually take a sip of water, you have to put your hands, both hands on it and hold it. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, basically, it's better if I just hug it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, no. No. It's ridiculous. I know. The worst part is, is I've drank, I've, I've drank two of these since I got it. So, which is why I, I, I had to pee earlier. I mean, it's very good. Like, you know, as far as keeping the water cold and everything. They do keep the water cold. I mean, I've, I've put, like, filled mine up with ice. Um, uh-huh. And then, um, I, the chocolate's all down at the bottom, Edie. I still had ice the next day. Yeah, I've been using the same ice all day. So, I filled it up with ice and put water over it. And then I, when I got new water, I just used the ice that was already in there. There was no need to replace the ice. I, I had plenty left. So, it's good. It's decent. It's a good deal. Black Friday. I got grapefruit. Yes. I won't tell you why I got grapefruit. Because my husband got one too. And he got a blue one. And I thought, I'm going to get a pink one so he won't use it. Because we have another Stanley, um, like a coffee thermos. That has a galaxy on it. It's very cute. Um, but we both got the same one. And he will use them interchangeably. And he'll also use his. Not wash his. And then get mine. And use mine. And then I won't have my coffee thermos. Not cool. But because he's a man of his time. In his 50s. He's not going to take a pink thermos to work. He's just not going to do it. So. <laughs> so he can't take my flask to work with him. Well he could. But he wouldn't. I think he'd make an excellent iced tea jug. I mean, if you want to make a whole gallon of tea to stick in your... It wouldn't be a whole gallon, but... It'd be a lot. Do you have any other questions, you guys, about the Big Moxie or posting or the Quantum Bang? Which, you know, we closed author submission, author signups, but artist signups are still open, right? Yes, until um, the end of February. End of February. Um, so, we're trucking along. We're trucking along. We're already over, I think, 20 signups for the Big Moxie, so that's good. Um, like I said, it hurts nothing to sign up. If you don't make it, you don't make it. There's no need to stress about it. But if you don't sign up, you can't give us a link later because we won't take it. Um, there's a page on... Um, on Writing and Junk where you can get the Google form and sign right up. Yeah, it did show up as a community feed as well. Because I have community feed hooked up to Writing and Junk, Quantum Bang, and Rough Trade. And uh, the Wild Hair Project. Okay, no questions. Let's go ahead and end the podcast here. Um, my water jug is empty. Can you drink too much water? Uh, yes, you, you can absolutely drink, can. You can. What's the maximum water you can drink during a day? Um, I don't think there's a specific maximum because a lot of times it has to depend upon weight, body composition, all that jazz. But um, you actually can cause. Is it what's it called hydrophobia like or water something like that? No, it's water like hydrophobia or something like that. Um, I will say for those people who wonder whether or not drinking a lot of water is a problem for your blood sugar, 
Um, the answer is yes, it's very good for your blood sugar. If you're running high, drinking a lot of water will help. But drinking a lot of water when your blood sugar is low can make your blood sugar lower. Because earlier today, my blood sugar went from 91 to 50. And it was because of drinking water. That just fixed your little red wagon, didn't it? Yes, it did. But it did give me an opportunity to have a brownie, and I'm not mad. <laughs> Which I know is not healthy. Please don't lecture me. <laughs> I really enjoyed that brownie, too. Um, water tox toxima? To toxemia? Tox toxemia? Toxemia? That makes sense. Yeah. Did we end Good the job, Chris. Did we yes, end we're going to do now. We're going to do it. We're going to do it now. Okay. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. We really appreciate you. Look forward to um, seeing what you do with Big Moxie at the end of the month. And, of course, in March. And uh, we shall catch you later. Say goodnight, Julie. Good night, everyone. <laughs>